I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, if you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So, it is the month of September 2021, and it is our third year anniversary, uh, which also means it is Masterclass Month uh, here at Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, essentially, what that is, is basically we take a extended look at a film franchise, uh, the initial recording of Catching Up on Cinema, before we even did numbered episodes, uh, Kyle and I uh, did a Predator Masterclass, wherein we covered the entirety of the Predator film franchise, including the AVP films. Uh, and in subsequent years, we went on to do an Alien Masterclass, uh, minus Prometheus, which we will get to at some point, I promise. Uh, and then we also did the Batman Masterclass. <laughs> Uh, up to uh, the Zack Snyder era, but not uh, the Snyder cut of Justice League, as that had not been released yet. Uh, which brings us to 2021, wherein we've been doing an Indiana Jones masterclass. And it's just perfect that we have four movies and four weeks in the month, so we've been covering one movie a week. Uh, and so, in case you haven't noticed, uh, Kyle is not present for this for this finale of the Indiana Jones masterclass. Uh, so in his stead, I have his brother, uh, Nick, to join me here. How's it going, Nick? Hi, I'm not Kyle. It's me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Nick's been on the show before. Uh, he has recorded episodes with us about Mortal Kombat uh, in great detail. So he, he's very familiar with the show format. I'm always glad to have Nick on the show. In fact, like I, I kind of think of you as like akin to my own brother, Matt. Uh, who's Good. like the door's always open for whatever the fuck right. guest opportunities you want to do so you're you're basically our, our one of our go-to guest hosts so it's a good feeling it's it's a very good feeling <laughs> i feel <pretty> <laughs> but no thank you so much nick for standing in for your brother uh, kyle kyle's busy with some real life shit so uh, this, this tends to happen every now and again so it's good to have somebody to stand in rather than uh one of those dreadful episodes where you get to be stuck with me for an hour and a half talking by myself in a tiny apartment <laughs> well and, and you know honestly i was thinking about it i'm like would kyle really have a whole lot to say about this i i feel like he wouldn't have as much to say so it's probably for the best that he's not here yeah i mean i had a feeling ahead of time like that if he's gonna dip i think i know where he's gonna dip <laughs> <laughs> because it just so happens that last year the Zack snyder era yeah. of the batman series oh, yeah. just so happened to be when he was that's right with real life shit hey, man that's a convenient that's, uh, that's quite convenient <laughs> yeah. if you ask me very i don't know if he's even seen justice league to this day I asked him when the uh, the Snyder Cut came out. I said, are you going to watch it? He said, hell no. So that's, uh, I don't think he is. I watched well, I, it. I mean, you know how Kyle feels about run times, man. Like, like an 85-minute run time is like, it doesn't even matter if it's good. He'll watch that just because of that selling point. But like four fucking hours? No. Well, you don't have to. No, ain't nobody got time for that. Just split it up. Just split it up. Yeah, I mean, you you can tell you can try to rationalize it that way. He's not going to hear that. He's going to see. He's going to see the number. He, he's a numbers man. He's going to look at that four hours. Get and he's scared. Gonna say, no, get brother scared. Nick. Yeah, I will not subject myself to Zack Snyder's Justice League. I mean, for fuck's sake, Zack Snyder isn't even a selling point for him in the first place. So like, he doesn't have to watch it. The only difference is I have watched it. I did watch it. <laughs> like, and I record an episode on. 
Um, and I've seen Batman versus Superman. Batman v Superman. Correction. Dawn of Justice. Correction. Double correction. Wait, that's the full um, title? Yes, it is. Um, Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. I don't remember being any Dawn or any Justice. That's weird. That's I don't remember <laughs> they, that. They kept, it, they kept it real quiet. I think it was the studio's way of saying, we got to tease something because this is a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> like we, we, need, we need to tease something like better to come because we know full well that this is absolute crap. I've seen that movie way more times than is healthy. Um, so I was uniquely qualified to do a solo episode on that particular <laughs> chapter of the Batman saga. But um, Nick has been very careful about uh, not disclosing the title of the film that we're reviewing today because, uh, frankly, I think it pains us both to just utter the, the syllables. <laughs> um, so if you're not familiar, folks at home, uh, the Indiana Jones film fri- franchise uh, at this time of recording uh, consists of four films, not the three that we all know and love. Uh, we have Raiders of the Lost Ark, Temple of Doom, The Last Crusade, which brings us to Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, once again directed by Steven Spielbergo. And this came out in 2008. Uh, the previous entry in the in the franchise, Wowzers is right, Nick, uh, was 1989. <laughs> so we had a healthy gap uh, between entry number three and number four. Uh, and funny enough, we have yet another healthy gap uh, between Kingdom of the Crystal yeah. Skull and the soon-to-come fifth entry, yet yet untitled uh, yep. fifth entry in the series uh, that's supposed to be due out, I think, next year. Who's that supposed to have? Uh, James Mangold is our director, so for the first time, Steven Spielberg is not in the director's seat, um, although James Mangold does have his personal blessing, so I guess there was a passing of an official, like, semi-official passing of the baton. I don't know if John Williams is returning to score it, Okay. Um, which there is precedent for that, actually. John Williams has certainly had that relationship with many franchises over the years. Right. He has not, he has not scored every Star Wars film. He has not scored every Superman film. He has not scored every Jaws film. He he does dip out of franchises, and yet they continue to limp on. <laughs> but, potato chip, yeah. But uh, Harrison Ford is back. Um, good God, he is quite elderly at this point. Wait, you uh, said <laughs> you said he's back? He is back. And uh, in terms of supporting cast, the only person I know for certain uh, that is attached to the film is uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Uh, she's a British comedian, a comedic actress from, uh, I think the show is called Fleabag. Okay. Um, she's pretty popular these days, so not a selling point for me personally, but her name does carry some weight. Uh, but that's at this moment, this is that's all I know about this movie that's apparently coming out next summer. So <laughs> no uh, Shia LaBeouf then, huh? Uh, no, uh, as far as I've heard, um, and we, we'll get into more detail about this when it comes to the production details of this film. Uh, as far as I've heard, Shia really burnt some bridges on this film, oh, actually. Oh, really? He's got a big mouth. Um, he, he, he did that a lot uh, at this stage in his career. Because, uh, I mean, Megan Fox was the one who was infamous for talking all sorts of shit about the Transformers franchise. Right, yeah. Uh, so publicly to the point that they booted her off the, the third film. And replaced her with a Australian uh, underwear model, uh, who outacted her. Actually, she did. Yeah, I, li- <laughs> <laughs> I was actually more emotionally attached to I her. Was too. I liked her better. I was <laughs> Fox. Um, but um, yeah, on Indiana Jones, apparently he said some nasty shit about working with Spielberg and uh, Harrison Ford, well, which don't... is surprising. Yeah, being as we... Harrison Ford. And uh, at Spielberg in particular did him a lot of favors early in his career. Like he he kind of like 
singled him out in the in the endless sea of faces and said that kid's going places and also he was a producer on transformers so he probably helped him get that role as well oh. uh, so kind of surprising that, that you would do that why would you do that if we were there you would not talk crap about those two people at all uh, no absolutely not it, it's just not done <sighs> in like in that particular environment you just don't do that um, but you know, Shia LaBeouf is a very strange, divisive figure in Hollywood. Like he, he, he tries really fucking hard, and I and I think he takes pride in that, um, such that like his his career has taken all sorts of weird twists and turns here and there, just because I, I think he does rub people the wrong way, um, probably because he thinks it's it's helping his process or something. But it's like no, like sa- save it for the good project, bud. <laughs> like like pick. Pick your battles, like, because uh, do it. Yeah, <laughs> he does have some stinkers. I actually do think he has some talent. I just think it's like misplaced energy a lot of times. Like I said, like devoting too much energy to the wrong things, honestly. But I, I, I don't think he's entirely worthless as an actor. I do think no. he has some ability. No, I actually did like him. Like, I remember watching Holes in like our fifth grade class. I'm like, hey, he's a, he's an okay guy. I never watched his Disney show. Transformers hit me at like the I was young, so I, it was okay, but uh, I liked him. And then he just kind of seemed to fall off, or I didn't watch his stuff either way. Yeah, he he's continued to work over the years. In fact, he had a couple of like highly critically acclaimed films in recent years, um, one of which I really need to see, uh, Peanut Butter Falcon. Hmm. Um, I've heard that's very, very good, and he's very good in it. Hmm. Um, and then I think the same year, uh, he may have produced... Uh, but he definitely has a co-starring role in a film called Honey Boy. Really? Um, that's a. Uh, it's. It, I think it's a like a biography essentially, where he's playing his own father in it. So it's like the story of like a like a trailer trash kid coming up in Hollywood oh. and getting pushed by his deadbeat dad to succeed. Okay. So it's it. I think it's intended to like vindicate like some of his decision making, where it's like you need to understand the path that I took to get to where I'm at is like. I I may play like the like the characters in the glossy blockbuster films, or at least I did. He doesn't really do that anymore. Nope. <laughs> but but in like 2008, basically, you know, when he's doing Transformers and stuff, it's like I may be playing these characters, but I I don't come from that. Like that doesn't actually represent me. What you're seeing, this Sam Witwicky character, this this fidgety, utterly obnoxious character, isn't actually me. That's me performing for the camera. Right. So I think he probably grapples a lot with that, where it's like his public, his public persona, like what he's perceived to be versus what he actually is. Yeah, because like a lot of actors are fucking weirdos, man. Like, like have you yeah. ever seen like Harrison Ford, for example, in in interviews? It's funny you mention that because I just I I searched high and low. This is gonna be the weirdest story ever. I searched <laughs> high and low for the a specific interview where I swear it was him and Conan O'Brien, where. It's it's staged, right? It's it's acted, but Conan is like trying to get like uh, oh gosh, spoilers out of him for something Star Wars, I'm sure. And Harrison Ford like grabs his tie and like slams his head against the table. It's clearly fake, but I was like, where is that? But all the <laughs> other interviews that he does are just so like he he's just so stiff and serious and and uncomfortable, and it makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, no, he he's notorious for being very wooden in interviews. I, mm-hmm. I mean, if you folks at home, if you've listened to any of our other Indiana Jones episodes at this point, you you've heard me do my Harrison Ford voice. <laughs> it is not 
in Indiana Jones voice. It is most certainly a, a Harrison, Harrison Ford, Ford voice. Yeah. <laughs> There's a certain cadence. It involves a lot of pregnant pauses and a lot of muttering. But um, I haven't seen that. But I remember they gave him the whip at one point, oh. at, like on on a late night show, and he he was asked to bust some moves out. And it no, wasn't pretty. Don't do Nobody that. got hurt, thankfully. Okay, but okay. It, it just didn't. It just didn't look good. <laughs> and I think it was because he was being very mindful of not getting anyone hurt. Yeah, you can't. You can't do it. I mean, you're gonna hit somebody <laughs> if you do it. <laughs> I mean, or at least yourself or something. Jeez, but but yeah, notoriously bad interview. And a lot of actors are not particularly comfortable in their own skin. So it, it does uh, create some quirky personalities. <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, I remember. He's watching. he's maybe the prototypical example <laughs> yeah. these these days like award season man get him off the stage help, help. <laughs> <laughs> i want like i i wonder what it'd be like to be like one of those gals that has to like escort you off the stage like i'd be <laughs> terrified it's like i'm sorry like whenever we have joaquin up on the stage like no we don't get the woman in the evening gown we get fucking brutus <laughs> from the parking lot <laughs> like just in case any shit goes down just in case he starts flailing around or gets uppity or something <laughs> yep bring a taser but um so as is customary uh, before we get to the movie proper uh something that i've really actually enjoyed doing uh talking about these uh master films is uh going into like our, our personal backstory like our personal relationship to the films in question so uh nick being as you haven't been on the show in a while and i have i've never talked to you personally about indiana jones uh we we got this like every week with kyle but uh nick what is what is your relationship to indiana jones like <clears throat> character or movie <clears throat> well <clears throat> excuse me well i think kyle might have mentioned this I'm sure he did. I think we watched the last one, uh, the Last Crusade, the most out of all of them. But I remember all—I remember watching all three vividly. I, I know they had them all on VHS. They being my stepmom. <laughs> I know she had all of them, and we watched them. Uh, I'll never forget Temple of Doom. Raiders is—I—I I know this is gonna hurt you. I always found that one to be a little bit more boring, but Last Crusade. I loved it. Loved uh, Harrison Ford, Sean Connery, just the the mix between both of them, the chemistry, whatever. Loved every bit of it. Um, but yeah, I vividly remember watching all of them, all the scenes. I remember watching the fourth one in theaters. <laughs> I remember. I have a theater experience story for that one, but I just remember walking away out of the theater, just being hurt like it actually hurt me and i to this day i'm like i've never sat down and and actually put it together why and hopefully we can do that in this episode why does this movie hurt because we're not we're not the only ones this is like the consensus this movie hurts the core fans and let's i I don't know i don't know why but i'm sure we'll find (laughs) out (laughs) yeah keep that in mind folks because like that is a a question that nick had posed to me before we started recording it's one that i I think is going to be like the through line for this whole discussion like we're going to come back to that but uh how old do you think you were when you first saw the indiana jones movies like when you were first exposed to them well that's the thing is kyle kyle's like we watched this when we were kids we watched this when we were kids he's three years older than me so I watched everything when he watched it, just three years younger. And oh, so, so you may have been very young. Uh, I'm sure I was. I mean, I, above five for sure. But 
like I remember watching other movies for the first time, and I'm I'm sure he was like, "Well, that was intense. Walk away." But they stuck with me. <laughs> I'm like, "What did we just watch?" <laughs> the man's heart came out, and then it caught fire. Yes, exactly. <laughs> did he say he was gonna kill the Christian and the Hebrew God, both of them, <laughs> and the Hindi gods, like plural? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Good God. <laughs> Things were just a little bit heavier on me. And I'm sure yeah. he didn't care. Uh, <laughs> that sounds right. <laughs> but I'm glad I watched him. I mean, I think I turned out okay. My wife might say different, but I'm alive. <laughs> Functioning. <laughs> Functioning at all. Now, when you mentioned you had a theater experience, is it is it just the, the feeling of hurt? Or was, were there some actual shenanigans during the screening? <laughs> I thought I was going to get in a fight. I legit did. <laughs> <laughs> What what happened, Nick? <laughs> All right, this is a weird story. Here, uh, go on. You have the floor, sir. So, 2008, I think we looked it up. Uh, I was a sophomore in high school, so I had a buddy. He had a girlfriend. She had a friend, and I went with them on a double date to see Indiana Jones. And I was like, I didn't know this girl, but I was like, yeah, we'll go. I, I want to see Indiana Jones clearly, so she can come or I can come, whatever. And we went through the whole thing, and I didn't really care for this girl that much. I'm sure she's not listening. I'm not going to say her name or anything, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like, yeah, I'll go. And uh, I got through it, and I'm walking out of the door, and I'm like, that was awful. And all of a sudden, there's six guys right outside the door waiting to come in, and they're all guys from my high school. Do you know those guys from high school that, like, they're older than you? And you know their faces, but you don't know their names. And you never talk to them. It was that. <laughs> Evidently, they knew this girl. And they knew my name. And they're like, oh, hey, Nick. Because <laughs> they saw me walk out with her. And they're like, how was the movie? And I was like, these sons are gone. <laughs> Like, I knew what they were doing, right? And, I was like, <laughs> and they just kind of like kept poking. And they were like, how was the movie? And I straight up, I answered truthfully. And I was like, because I couldn't. I couldn't shake it. I was like, I didn't like it. And the girl goes, oh, I didn't think it was that bad. I ignored her. I was like, this isn't going to work. <laughs> <laughs> You've already made the decision. This isn't going to work. <laughs> this is the last time we'll be seen in public together. <laughs> but like, as we're walking away, they're still kind of poking. And in my mind, I'm like picturing, I've seen too many movies. I'm like picturing action you know, movie, like, go to the car, I'll take care of this. But there's no way. There's six guys. They would destroy me. And uh, they didn't. They weren't going to do anything. Uh, I guess they knew her, and maybe they knew me indirectly, but they were just kind of, like, teasing me and poking me. But I legit thought that they were going to, like, like jump me or something because they would just – they would not stop. And I was like, See, this is two, the worst. Two alternative endings for that story would be, one, you tell them it sucked, and they're like, oh, yeah, I know. It, it was terrible. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm just, just checking. Like, if you had said you liked it, we would have we would have had to swing on you. But like, we're all good, Nick. <laughs> okay, you're right. Uh, second alternative ending would be you actually do have to throw hands, and then Mr. Miyagi hops the fence and bails you out. Um you probably like ruined that opportunity for him. Pat Morita was probably like back there, like watching, being like, "This is—is is it gonna happen? Is, is tonight the night? Do I get to save some some white kid?" <laughs> assist, assist. <laughs> but nothing happened, so he just went back to work. He just went back to being a superintendent. He's like, "Well, I thought it was gonna happen tonight." <laughs> yeah. 
I just, oh, I, well. it was the worst. I, I came away out of the theater just like, oh, that was awful. And then I came away after leaving the theater being like, what, like, why do they even know my name? Why were they, like, what was that all about? So it was just an all around awful experience. Yeah, that just sounds like a terrible evening, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did not see this one in the theater. Um, I've already disclosed my personal history with uh, with the Indiana Jones franchise as a whole. Uh, I think I, I named Raiders as my probably my preferred uh, entry in the series. I think that is the one that means the most to me personally. Uh, it's probably the one I've seen the most, which helps quite a bit. It's also the f- first one I saw, which, again, helps quite a bit in terms of forming a childhood opinion on something. Um, but Last Crusade is most certainly its equal. Um, I would say the writing in Last Crusade is probably superior. Um, I just I just like the action set pieces and the the rhythm, like the yes. pace of Raiders at the midway point is just phenomenal. Like it just rolls. Yeah. The same with Temple of Doom, actually. Like, one like once we they run out of script for that movie, it's it's just like a slam bang action roller coaster, and it's yeah. pretty amazing actually when you think about. It. But, um, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, I, I. No, I wanted to see it in the theater, but I had a bad feeling. So I, I think I just didn't bother. Um, I think I ended up just like honestly just renting this one, which is really sad when you think about how how much praise I've heaped on the series, like and how much it means to me personally. Like for me to just opt out of going to the theater for like the first and to date only Indiana Jones movie I would have the possibility of potentially seeing in the theater. Like, that says a lot that I wouldn't bother to do that. But a lot of that just came from straight up having the willies about it. It's like, I got a bad feeling about this. And yeah. it turned out to be justified uh, because, as Nick had said, I, this this movie hurt me on some level. Uh, it, 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 it wounded me. Yes. Uh, which, which is kind of a rarity, actually, because I, I, I feel like, in general, I do have franchises that mean the world to me. Like, I do get a cha- attached to properties, but despite like repeated examples of disappointing entries in those franchise franchises be they like james bond or godzilla or what have you like seldom do i feel like slighted by it like usually i just like write it off as just like yeah you know they'll do better next time maybe but indiana jones maybe it's because there's so few of them or something but and because they've been so consistently fantastic up until this one that yeah kingdom of the crystal skull just like really really hurt me on some on some level that it it, it just feels unforgivable right you know, like, like it it actually pisses me off to think <laughs> about this movie no it actually feels like it does harm to the franchise and that's that is something that that is a difference maker is that godzilla and james bond the two examples i cited those have over 20 movies each so when you have a when you have a speed bump in in that lineup it's like yeah, it'll write itself. Like the, the ship will be find its way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they'll figure it out down the road. Like they'll they'll get a new Bond or they'll get a new director for Godzilla or they'll you know give it back to Japan at some point. <laughs> but um, Indiana Jones though, it's like you had the same people, like the same the same consistent signals of what you would expect to be quality, and because there's so few at bats that preface this one, it's just it it's any wrongdoings it has on its record are, are considerably amplified. Yes. Um, and, and the fact that Harrison Ford is like 
getting so much up there in years that it just it makes makes the idea of yet another one to come just feel like even more eerie where it's like i don't know man i got the same bad feeling i had with that fourth one (laughs) uh i don't think he could throw another punch like that's that like we were looking up my wife was looking at the like his age at the time i'm like oh my gosh like there's no way they can do another one there's there's no way they can do another one like right with him I think he was 65 at the time of of Crystal Skull, and he is now 79. (laughs) Wow. Just wow. Uh, I mean, Cry Macho just came out. That's a Clint Eastwood film that he's actually in. Oh, my. Um, And my brother pointed out that he does, in fact, throw a punch in the trailer. It is one of the saddest punches I've ever seen thrown in cinematic history. (laughs) But but he he takes a swing at somebody. He He makes contact. So if he if Clint can do it, Harrison Ford could do it. That's true. That's yeah, true. Yeah, he. I mean, he he has a healthy pot addiction. He, he <laughs> it helps with inflammation. You know, <laughs> his his lean muscles are still functioning. He doesn't feel pain. <laughs> <laughs> I'm imagining on the set just like, ow. <laughs> hey, Stephen, I think I tore my shoulder out of its socket. <laughs> It's like, it's okay, Harrison. Just toke up. You'll be all right. Just throw dirt on it and toke up. You'll be fine with it. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> Rehab it. <laughs> Actually, sounds just uh, like him. Yeah. So, uh, before we get into the movie proper again, uh should probably just go over the production history on this one. So, how how is it we got to Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? So, as I, as I said, uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade came out in 1989. And we would not get another entry in the franchise until 2008. Um, however, in all those in all of those intervening years, uh, efforts were made uh, to try to get a fourth movie into production. Oh. Um, a lot of it came down to everybody just like going their separate ways after the third one, where uh, doing a trilogy just felt very cozy. And even the final shot of Last Crusade, it feels like this is supposed to be goodbye. You know, right. Riding off into the sunset is generally the end of the story. That's the end. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, like, there's a reason why turns of phrase such as the Holy Grail being, like, referenced to, like, the apex or the pinnacle or something, and the the expression riding off into the sunset generally means, like, riding off to the end of the story, kind of, like, the conclusion of something. You could tell that at least Steven Spielberg, I can't speak for George Lucas, was done. And, in fact, in interviews about the making of kingdom of the crystal skull he said as much he said i was done like i I washed my hands of the franchise they were all good like temple of doom is the only one that people seem to have issue with i still think it's relentlessly entertaining but i mean in my book they're three and three if you just if you remove the fourth one from it but uh spielberg would go on to do many other much much more serious (laughs) films after the indiana jones series um he completely wrote off the idea of having Nazis involved in any further yeah. uh, Indiana Jones stories after Schindler's List. He was like, I don't think I can make jokes of, of the Nazis anymore. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I, I, I spent a good chapter of my life, like, really taking a deep dive into how awful these people were. I don't think I can make light of that anymore, which is fine. Yeah. Like, that's fine yeah. by me. The Nazis are not essential to making a good Indiana Jones movie. Case in point, Temple of Doom. Right. Um. But yeah, there were there were many many attempts at uh, writing a script for this film. Uh, in fact, Frank Darabont, uh, who is famous for doing 
uh, many uh, Stephen King adaptations. Oh. Uh, I think I think the the Green Mile and the Mist. Um, he may have even done Shawshank, if memory serves. Um, and also, he was uh, he spearheaded the initial season of The Walking Dead. He's he's a very yeah. talented individual. Uh, he wrote a script. Um, once again, involved the Nazis, which got vetoed by Spielberg. But the idea was it was supposed to take place in the 1950s in South America and would involve uh, ex-Nazis pursuing Indiana Jones, uh, which is an interesting That's, spin on things, yeah, I guess. Why would they pursue? Why would they pursue him? <laughs> I'm not entirely certain, but but that is a different angle to come at the story from, where it's like instead of like hunting down an artifact or like a treasure hunt or like a race of some sort. It, instead, it's like Indy on the run. Like, that's that's a different angle to come at things from. Yeah, well, and like you said, I don't think we need not Nazis. That's not what makes a good story, but you could do a treasure hunt and do it good. <laughs> <laughs> but one uh, consistent thing uh, in all the production notes for this one was, uh, of course, George Lucas really, really, really wanted to get aliens in oh, here somehow. Oh uh, basically from day one. Uh, from from like 1989 up until 2008, he's like, "Hey, Steven, I, you know, it would make this treasure hunt movie way better if we had aliens." Aliens. <laughs> I, I cannot. I, every time I see this movie, I think of the same thing: the Nat Geo meme guy with the crazy hair. Aliens. Every time. That's it. that's all I can think of. That's it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not entirely, I guess, against the idea of, like, I remember there was a lot of fan outcry and outrage about the idea of, like, aliens and Indiana Jones don't go together. You can't do that. That's stupid. It's like, the whole franchise is stupid. Stupid is fine, but but there there is a way to incorporate this, and this was not the way. Um, so I'm not entirely against the idea of adding aliens, although, personally, I would have pushed hard. <laughs> I would have pushed back real hard against that idea. I'm, I'm against it. I'm on the record. I'm, I'm saying I'm against it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> in no way is Nick <laughs> invited. He does not entertain the idea of aliens and Indiana Jones. Line in the, the sand. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's what we needed. Because there, there's been plenty of speculation as to how this this story came together the way it did. Right. And, uh, all signs point to Steven Spielberg just being tired. Like, I think he used yeah. the phrase, he he relented. Relent, yes. Where, where okay. from 1989 up until 2008, George just will not shut the fuck up about his <laughs> gosh darn aliens. aliens. And, you know, Steven Spielberg, he, you know, he was doing plenty of movies in the intervening years. He was a busy guy. he probably just get tired and just said, you know what, George? Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> Stew okay. your way. We'll do it your way, George. You won't. Sh- you just won't drop it. <laughs> you just, just won't drop the fucking aliens. <laughs> yeah, I mean that. That I've seen interviews. I watched the making of on the disc. It's a terrible making of, by the way. Oh, it, it's one of those Can masturbatory. Do that, right? Like, it's one of those masturbatory, like self-filating back. Like, it's everything they did was right. It was a great idea. It, it's it's a victory lap slash. Um, ploy to to encourage investors to get involved in the production oh. like it's one of those videos where it doesn't really give you much insight into how they actually made the thing it's more just like hey if you want to get in on the indiana jones movie if you want to like give us a few bucks and po- for post-production or something like you see we're doing good work and we're all real excited about it it's like one of those i'm hurt even more i didn't think it was possible but i am 
I mean, this is a thing with a, a lot of uh, modern day movies, actually. Like, Ooh. not every movie has good supplemental features on it. Like, yeah. the, the Lord of the Rings, the Peter Jackson uh, Lord of the Rings movies kind of set the gold standard for yeah. uh, supplemental features on the disc, where it's like, if you want to know how we made this, here it is. Here is Film School 101 in the form of bonus features on your DVD. Um, but, like, the Marvel movies, they don't tell you shit. Like, they, they don't want you really? to know how they make these things. No, I, I've they, never watched a behind-the-scenes of any Marvel Marvel movie. That's interesting, actually. Oh, it's terrible. Like you Again, it's just like a highlight reel intended to sell it to investors. It's not really insightful. It doesn't really give you any idea of what actually went into making the thing. It's more just like a victory lap for the production. It, it's boring as shit, honestly. <laughs> um, but yeah, the... Like all the other making ofs for all the other Indiana Jones movies, actually very good. detailed, very entertaining, very interesting. This one was just like, yeah, this feels this feels like a modern day production where they just don't want to talk about. All they want to talk about is how how happy they are to be back and like how how great it is to see everyone again. It's like, not, what what is this? What is this fluff shit? Not when it's a <laughs> shit sandwich. Yeah, I mean. The movie does have a little bit of that vibe going for it. Apparently, like, uh, there was a reunion of sorts. There was, a like, a, a dinner or something um, honoring Harrison Ford that uh, all of the major behind-the-scenes people were in attendance for. So we had, like, Kathleen Kennedy and Steven Spielberg and George Lucas and Frank Marshall, the producer on all of these films. We They had all of them in attendance, and I think they all, like, got together at a table and were just like... Hey, Steven, you know it would be really great? If we made another indie film. I think that would sell <laughs> like hotcakes. <laughs> That's what the kids say, right? <laughs> uh, but yeah, apparently that had a contributing factor. That was a contrib- contributing factor to how the, the film got off the ground. But um, David Kep would end up basically doing the, the finalized version of the script, which re- represents what, what it was that we got. Uh, at the end of the road uh, in terms of production but uh, just to point out uh, before we got into the before uh, the movie came out uh, in 2008 uh, Steven Spielberg was hot off of uh, War of the Worlds and Munich and I I used the wrong phrase there not hot off of uh, those both came out in 2005 uh, so he was fun employed, <laughs> for, uh, or either that or it took that long to produce Indiana Jones 4 that yeah it might be the case i like so, war of the worlds i don't think i've seen munich which is probably the better movie but i like war of the worlds a lot at least the first bits until we get to um crap what's his name tim robbins tim robbins house yeah <laughs> yeah it i always refer to it as two-thirds of a good movie yes uh, because yeah the first two-thirds are actually fantastic yes. the opening in particular is it's really great. great i love it but yeah, as soon as soon as that as soon as that teenage boy, as soon as Justin T- Chatwin, aka Goku, uh, runs over that hill oh and then comes back at the end of that movie, yeah, you didn't see it. That kid was so dead. Instant transmission. I'm, you didn't see it. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean that's the only way I could have seen him surviving that. The it's fuck. Like, did you, yeah, did you not see what was going on over that hill, boy? <laughs> No, he shows up at the end. He's like, well, I'm just fine. 
like, I don't know, maybe, yeah, maybe his Saiyan blood kept him alive. He, like, was on the verge of death, but then he powered up. <laughs> or he went Super Saiyan off-screen. There we go. He's yeah. like, yeah, I solved the alien problem. It's like, oh, yeah, so did we, with the common cold. <laughs> He's like, oh, never mind. I have superpowers. <laughs> Deleted scenes. Yeah, Munich is quite good. Uh, it's very controversial. Oh. Um, ver- yeah. Uh, from a political standpoint, there's some perspectives uh, at play that's like, not everybody's going to be 100% okay with what's happening in this movie. <laughs> but it is it is a solid film, though. Like, like, in terms of filmmaking and quality of production, it is quite solid. I had a follow-up question in Munich, but I'm like, oh, crap, I probably should not ask a follow-up question. <laughs> 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 yeah, may- maybe not for this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, in terms of production details, that's that's really all it is. Uh, we're basically all the behind-the-scenes talent. It, it is a reunion. Like like I said, all of our major producers, our director, uh, they're all back, uh, including mm-hmm. our star and our composer, John Williams, does return. Um, not his finest hour, uh, I'll say that much, no. but he, he does show up and it does have his flavor, which is consistent with the rest of the films in the series. And I do... I do actually value consistency when it comes to franchise filmmaking. Like certain certain things, it's fine to take a radical change with, but I don't know. Music is one of those things that actually feels good to me when when the musical flavor feels the same. It doesn't have to be the same guy, just as long as it has the same flavor. It, it's comforting. I actually remember a scene where I told my wife, I said, "This sounds like Star Wars." She goes, "Well, it's the same guy," but I'm like, "Yeah, but I don't know why." I guess the scene sounded more like Star Wars than actual Indiana Jones. I, I don't know. That might have just been in my my own mind but that's that no no, you're you're not wrong like like uh both both franchises share some dna Mm -hmm. in terms of composition for sure uh but yeah in terms of instrumentation like mutt's theme like his melody does bear some resemblance to what would what would manifest in like the the new trilogy of star wars films that that john williams would also compose so your ears weren't lying to you um but yeah, let's get into the movie proper. All right, let's go. Let's yeah, we've, we've been we've been pussyfooting around this way too long. Like, <laughs> clearly, we we want to talk about we want to talk around the film. Yeah, yeah, we don't yeah. actually want to talk about anything that happens in the film. But, it, it hurts yeah. to go back, but we'll do it for you guys. Yeah. So our film uh, does begin uh, with the same opening concept as all the other films in the series, and I'm actually curious if they're going to keep this tradition rolling with that fifth film. Uh, basically, we have the Paramount logo, which is, of course, a mountain, um, and then it, it fades. It transitions into something that mirrors the structure of the mountain face. So in the first film in Raiders, it's an actual like rocky structure that has a, has a peak similar to that. In uh, Temple of Doom, it's a gong that has a mountain symbol on it. Oh. In uh, The Last Crusade, again, we have a rock yeah. formation. Um, and then this one, we have a prairie dog mountain. A computer engineered, a computer animated prairie dog mount. Wow. So from shot one, <laughs> we're already offending anybody who could possibly care at all about this franchise. I never <laughs> so caught from the from the first fucking shot. <laughs> never caught yeah. never caught that before. That's interesting. Yeah, strap yourselves in, folks. It's gonna get loud. <laughs> um, but yeah, we have a groundhog, a prairie dog, like cgi mound and these prairie dogs show up at least three times in this movie three times three times (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, and then our opening sequence is uh, something that felt very George Lucas. Uh, it felt like it didn't come from Sp- Spielberg's brain at all. It feels like this was just George forcing his way in into the production meeting. He'd be like, hey, you know what would make this movie better, Steven? Hot rods. You know what? You know what kids in 2008 really like, Steven? Hot rods. Pod racing. Pod racing is wizard. <laughs> yeah, because uh, it's no secret George Lucas loves hot rods. <laughs> uh, there's a reason why American Graffiti was one of his very first films. Uh, like that that old school like uh, hot rod culture was was something he was into as a as a youth. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and it's something that he continues to be passionate about with his, you know, billions of dollars. Uh, you, you need to have quite a bit of money in order to be passionate about hot rods. Um, yeah. So, yeah, this this whole thing just felt like it came straight out of George's brain and spilled out onto the screen. Uh, it's well shot for what it is. Basically, it's it's an opening sequence of uh, Elvis uh, doing his hound dog song. And then we have a, a, a military convoy. And uh, it's playing, the opening credits are playing over this, by the way. So mm-hmm. our first images of this fucking Indiana Jones movie are a computer-animated prairie dog, prairie dog mound. Uh, and then some, some <laughs> wild teenage, yeah, and pod racing. <laughs> Transitioning into a fucking 1950s pod race. Um, yeah, Nick, do you got anything to say about this uh, opening car sequence here? You know, I... I when I first saw that prairie dog, I was like, oh, this is when that prairie dog comes in? And then I remembered, I took count, this, I took notes, and I was like, oh my gosh, this isn't the last time we see it. And the question I had in my mind the whole time is, why? Just why? Uh, I don't have an answer for you, Nick. <laughs> um, I want to say this is maybe a George Lucas thing, or maybe a somebody i can't name names because i don't know but somebody must have had the idea that maybe the kids would like that but then when i think about indiana jones i don't think about kids it's like even short round like something that kyle and i were very keen on pointing out about short round the character is that part of the appeal of short round is that yes he is he is a child and yes he does get his kid power moments where he's you know saving the slave children and stuff But he also beats all sort of ass, yeah. and he's like he's gambling tough. with Indiana Jones, and he is spoken to as if he's an adult. He's a tiny adult, like, yeah. I mean, that that's like a consistent thing that you'll hear any number of man children out there <laughs> rant about. Oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> is it, no, it's a consistent thing in like nerdy communities is that movie producers don't <clears throat> seem to understand that like kids don't want to see themselves on film necessarily they they want to see people that they want to aspire to be bigger yeah like like take for instance the power rangers like you don't want it like like when they got to power rangers turbo they actually made the fucking mistake of having the blue ranger be a little fucking kid with a bunch of you know 30 year olds playing teenagers but point is it's like no i don't want to be the kid i want to be tommy the the green ranger because he's the best right like like indisputably he's the best (laughs) (laughs) yeah but point is like i feel like maybe this was an attempt to like pander to whatever kids were in the audience but i just don't understand that that line of Mm -hmm. thinking because very little of this movie feels feels cohesive uh in terms of intent because we have a situation where there are elements where you can tell maybe they had younger viewers in mind 
But the real selling point, the audience that you should be gunning for, are the people who grew up on this shit who are not kids. Right. Maybe, maybe you're hoping like they'll bring their kids to this one, but what little kid is going to want to see a, a, a movie headlined by a 65-year-old man that looks really awkward when he's throwing hands? Like, nobody. Like, uh, no kid is going to be excited about that. Dad, I'm so glad your movie had that prairie dog in it. I loved it. Yeah, that was the difference maker. <laughs> that was entirely the difference maker. I wouldn't have enjoyed that movie at all if it didn't have prairie dogs or monkeys. Oh, gosh, the monkeys. Oh, no. Yeah, no, none of these chase sequences did anything for me. If, if not for the inclusion of the CGI monkeys and prairie dogs, this movie would have utterly fallen flat on its face with our younger demographics. Now, I don't really understand, but th- I feel like this is going to be a through line yeah. uh, in terms of us digging our quest to dig up the reason as to why this movie stings so fucking much whenever we bring it up. Is I think it's because they got their wires crossed. Mm. Like they, they had too many ideas. They kitchen synced it, basically. Oh. Where it's like... We tried to do everything. We tried to please too many people. When, in fact, you should have just tried to please the people who who would be excited to hear of an Indiana Jones movie in the 2000s. Exactly. So I, I feel like that's more than likely the case. Is that they just threw everything at the wall and, and kept too much of it. And, and this might just be me. The, the That scene aside, I actually don't mind the warehouse scene itself. I Yeah. Go ahead. No, I, I, I mostly agree with you. Um, and we can get into the nitty-gritty of that. But, um, like, spoiler alert, basically my feelings on this movie are once the plot gets going, I lose all interest. Like, like once, we, once we're on the path to the, to the actual story, I, I'm kind of checked out, honestly. They're, they're... Like, exact, exactly the point which a traditional, a, a traditional rhythm of a film that's when I should be most engaged. It's like, no, th- this is when I'm thoroughly disengaged. And anything you do that should be impressing me in this moment, you already lost me, so it loses its luster. I felt like I gave it a little bit more grace, but there is a specific scene where my brain just checked the F out. And I was like, okay, that's it. You lost me. That's it. It's done. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> okay. Well, be sure to point that out. Oh, but, it'll, um, it'll come up. So this opening sequence that plays, like, our opening credits play out over, like I said, it's actually quite well shot. Um, the, the, like, car camera that they use, the rigs that they use to film all the car action, it's not like a gripping action sequence. It's literally just a bunch of rowdy teenagers driving alongside a military convoy while Elvis plays. Um, but the, the cinematography, the camera movement is, is clean. It looks nice. Um, but this is also part of the, one of my biggest problems with the movie is just the general look of it. This movie makes me kind of sick to look at, honestly. It's like, like it's it's not handsome. I don't know if it, the way I describe it, it's got like this weird green like haze to it. I'm like, what? What is this? I don't know if that was just me or if that's what everybody sees, but it, it's almost like out of focus. It's blurry or something. Yeah, uh, haze is the word that came to mind for me okay. too. Uh, so, so good, good word choice there. Uh, so this this movie, the cinematographer on this was uh, Janusz Kaminski, okay. uh, who is famous for having worked with Steven Spielberg consistently, like every movie he shot since basically since Schindler's List in 1993. Oh wow! Um, and it's created this like visual kind of cue that you you are watching a Spielberg movie because Janusz Kaminski and him are are like tied up together, kind of like John Williams and Steven Spielberg. 
Um, so it's a it's a trademark at this point. Yeah. Problem is, it's not a trademark I am especially appreciative of, because uh, one of his hallmarks is a blown out light sources. He likes to just blast lights into your fucking face. Um, Minority Report has that like high gloss kind of look to it. That if you if War of the Worlds and Minority Report both have what I'm yeah. referring yep. to here. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yep. And J.J. Uh, Abrams kind of aped it for a lot of his movies. Uh, he got a lot of shit for doing that. Um, yeah. Like they, there was all those uh, lens flares memes uh, about J.J. Uh, yes. Abrams films, and he kind of borrowed that from Janusz Kaminski and, and Spielberg. But um, yeah, the general look of this movie, it does have a weird haze. The colors are really washed out. Um, and they they talk at length in, in interviews about how a lot of research and a lot of time was spent trying to match the look and feel of the previous films and to me it's like no no <laughs> like, like yeah it's like you you well, had no. 200 million dollars to work with you spared no expense and yet you it no I, I i can like just like pass by in my living room and just be like that doesn't look right it's, it's, <laughs> it's, a, like, it's a consensus too it's like everybody says that what what happened what did they walk away with this movie just like yeah this looks great how I, I, yeah. I don't get it. I mean, to, to quote Joss Whedon, the, the texture is wrong. <laughs> like, it doesn't bear the same texture. Uh, the lighting is, is wrong, if you ask me. The color palette in particular feels very wrong. Although a lot of interviews with Spielberg and George Lucas pointed towards... Um, they, use the, they use the phrase B-movie a lot in reference to the yeah. general theme of the movie, which makes sense, yeah, being as yeah. it's about aliens. Right. It does take place in the 1950s. Yep. Um, so B movies were of the era. Only problem is nothing else about the movie other than the era and the subject matter feels like a B movie. Right. Like like if you've ever seen an actual B movie, like nothing about this movie feels like one no, of those. No, it doesn't look like it. That's just wrong. Well, the, yeah. wrong. <laughs> <laughs> to quote to quote Lex Luthor, <laughs> actor not to be named. Um, yeah, n- nothing nothing about the general structure of the movie or or like the props in particular or the production design feels like a B movie. Like if they were really if they ran with that theme, maybe that could have been some fun. And I think that I think you're right. I think that would have been more fun. But like imagine like ray guns and like like computers yeah. the size of walls that have just lots go. of knobs and dials that people look real busy on just go full <laughs> full on and, and lots of bullshit star trek science talk you know that, that kind of stuff like just i, I have seen yeah. many a b movie like that like a lot of oversized atomic animal movies i have seen my fair share and generally they're very talky generally your main characters are scientists who babble on about all manner of bullshit <laughs> that is utterly la- laughable by today's standards of science um, but yeah, nothing else about this movie feels like a B movie. But what I was saying about the the look of the movie, though, is that you could argue. I'm not saying that I agree, but you could argue that the overly clean look that the movie has is similar to like the makeup and production design of those older movies, where everybody was always always had like perfect hair oh, and yeah. like cleanly pressed shirts and stuff. Like people didn't get Too all perfect. muddy and dirty. Yeah. yeah, people generally didn't like get super dirty or have like a lot of detail put into their costuming and stuff because those movies were made quick and dirty like they're very cheap um but yeah not not nothing about what they said matches what we got it's very frustrating in that sense um but yeah uh, this opening sequence in fact the whole movie uh 
not the whole movie, but this sequence is in Nevada in 1957. So that tells us that uh, I think Last Crusade took place in 1938. Uh, so we've jumped roughly 20 years ahead. Um, and that's to match, you know, Harrison Ford's aging. Age, right, like that, yeah. you, you can't really fight that no matter how much CGI you throw at the damn thing. Yep. Um, but yeah, we come to a military checkpoint. Uh, and we do learn later that I think this is supposed to be Area 51. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, the uh, Independence Day aliens are in one of these boxes, <laughs> I assume. <laughs> top <laughs> but, men. <laughs> yes, yes. We, we literally go to the top men warehouse uh, that served as our last shot for uh, Rages of the Lost Ark. Yep. Um, but we are made aware that there's some sort of uh, weapons testing going on in this facility. And by the way, these... Uh, this military convoy, the drivers of this, the one guy is way too excited. Like, <laughs> to like race? The, the, yeah, he is <laughs> way right, too yeah. into Yeah, he is way <laughs> too into it. It's like this bizarre instance of overacting where it's like he's just so jazzed about racing. Well, <laughs> if he's, he's supposed to be Russian, right? Spoilers. So maybe they, yeah. they, ha- they have no fun. And then he's here and he's like, well, I know we're going to go and do this thing, but can I just... Uh, maybe. <laughs> I mean, his his performance was like baffling to me, but I did get a little chuckle out of his uh, his co-pilot, like the guy in the passenger seat, just gives him a look, like you fucking idiot. <laughs> like, there is no joy in Russia. <laughs> but uh, yes, spoiler alert: this military convoy uh, is actually uh, Soviet Russians uh, in disguise, uh, and so they come to this checkpoint. And then uh, we get this instance of a. Uh, we are introduced very, almost immediately, yeah. uh, to the fellow who will serve as the muscle slash the heavy yep. of our cast here. Uh, and this fella is a uh, Igor Gijikine. Igor. Uh, yeah, Igor. Uh, he is a like a, a Russian actor slash acrobat. Oh. Um, he massively accomplished. He was in like a circus at one point. Um, this man has stood opposite Harrison Ford in this film, Steven Seagal, oh my. <laughs> and, lived. and and Jackie Chan and Arnold Schwarzenegger. So he has been punched by the best of, of multiple generations. I'm afraid to ask what movies, because I don't recognize uh, him. So I have seen the Steven Seagal movie. Uh, it is Driven to Kill. Um, <clears throat> nope. And this is a trivia factoid for Kyle. Um, who is not on this podcast? Golly, but um, piece of crap. So uh, maybe he's mentioned it to you, Nick. Uh, there's a Russian film called V, spelled V I Y, um, and it it was released during the the USSR era of Russian history, so oh. during the Soviet Union, um, and it, it's like a movie that he theorized maybe inspired Sam Raimi's Evil Dead because uh, it involves supernatural stuff and something about the camera work and the production design really. Like, I've seen clips. I bought a bootleg DVD of it for him because he wouldn't shut the fuck up about it. <laughs> um, but uh, the Jackie Chan and Arnold Schwarzenegger movie that Igor is in is called V2, Journey to China, released in 2019. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, uh, he is also in Hunter Killer. Uh, so maybe Gerard Butler punched him, too. Hunter Killer. Again, he's been punched by the best. Oh, Jason Statham also in a safe. So this man has this man has eaten the fists of of multiple generations' best action stars. Uh, and I'll just say it right up front. Um, in terms of his abilities on screen, he's he's fine. He does he does the job. Yeah. He eats the punches. He looks tough. He's yeah. big. 
he does the job. Um, but yeah, we're introduced to this fella, and uh, just the texture on his face, like camera loves it. Yes. Like, he, like if you if you think of stereotypical Russian tough guy, I'm sorry, Igor, but you look it. <laughs> You're the guy. You're the guy. <laughs> But we get this gag where he bends over to tie his shoes while they're being interrogated at this gate. And, uh, yeah, all the soldiers behind him, all the all the Russians, just mow these guys down. And this begins... So we had our first shot where we get a CGI groundhog. <coughs> now we get this where all the goods, all the people getting shot are off screen. And and me, the, the child who delighted at Raiders of the Lost Ark, yeah. where, you know, within the first 20 minutes, you've had people getting shot in the face, set on fire, killed by spikes in the walls. And now you have this where, hang on, all those people got shot and I didn't get to see it? <laughs> That's a good point. Like, the violence in here is kind of, like, pushed back. It, it's not it, as... It gets worse, Nick. Oh. It gets way worse. Oh, my. I'm <laughs> <laughs> but keep that in mind, because, like, th- this this establishes the general, uh, I guess, the movie's general stance uh, in regards to on-screen violence. It's it very much a Kid Gloves production. Like, we don't, we don't want to... We don't want this to be a violent action-adventure story. God forbid. <laughs> We're going to have guns in virtually every scene, but nobody's going to get shot. <laughs> like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We can't let's show that. Hold on now. Yeah, let's not go nuts here. <laughs> uh, but then uh, we get introduced uh, to Indy. Uh, do, you, do, you, do you remember how this went down, Nick? Yeah, he is in the back of a trunk, and he gets thrown to the ground, loses his hat, Picks it up, and the camera, I think, picks up where he picks his hat up at the same time, if I'm not mistaken. He's got a buddy with him as well. Yeah, they, they try to do the reveal in stages where he gets, someone gets pulled out of a trunk. Right. Uh, we get an overhead shot of him being thrown on the dirt, and then he loses his hat, and then we get we see his silhouette putting the hat on, and then we get the full reveal okay. of his face. But yeah, that's how we get introduced to Indy in this movie. Not punching somebody, not whipping, not nothing just oh gosh i'm on the ground (laughs) hauled out of a trunk (laughs) and it's so embarrassing actually because there there are readily available interviews with george lucas on the fucking blu-ray disc by the way of both him and steven spielberg explaining that the origin of the sequence was steven spielberg when prompted is just like yeah george said he wanted him to get pulled out of a trunk and i said okay (laughs) and then they cut to george and he's like yeah, I thought it would be really great if we had him get pulled out of a trunk. It's like, yeah, because that's what the kids want to see in 2008. Yeah, I, I, that's great. I wonder if high high energy filmmaking. He, he, he must have been. I think it was his plan all along. I think he was done. He's like Indiana Jones is done. Spielberg, and he's like, okay, Lucas, I'm gonna give you exactly what you want every single time, and then you're gonna see, you're gonna see what happens when you get what you want every single time. <laughs> I'm imagining him at the premiere, just like pointing at him. You wanted this. You wanted this. That's what you get. That's what you get, George. (laughs) This is what happens when you fly with a stranger in the Alps, George. (laughs) I'm sorry, Steven. I thought it was a good idea. I'm going to go make Red Tails now. The first African-American headline action film. It's, it's, It's poetry. It rhymes. That's, po- that's, po- that's like poetry. It rhymes. <laughs> yeah, I saw Red Tails in the theater. By the way, the probably one of yeah, yeah. one of five people to do that. Who, 
one of the five people who voluntarily did that, because I'm pretty sure a lot of schools, like school buses of children, were dumped off at theaters, like claiming yeah. that is like a, I don't know, historical credit of some sort. The movie sucks. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> uh, yep. But yeah, he does have a buddy with him, and this is uh, Ray Winstone as Mac, who is one of the most infuriating characters in the whole movie. Uh, I don't know why he's here, yeah. other than to other than to breathe other people's air yeah because no. he, he just sucks the energy out of the movie he's incredibly frustrating uh because the the whole concept of this character i guess is that i think they wanted to have fun with the idea of maybe potentially like filling in some blanks as to what happened since we last saw indiana jones okay because they do this trick here where both he and in indy go back and forth referencing their previous exploits but it's all just like lip service, like like none of it's ever fleshed out. They just mention places and dates, and yeah. they keep doing it. Where it's like, I don't care. Like you're not an interesting character. In fact, you're starting to piss me off. I like I like Ray Winstone as an actor, yes. but even in interviews, it's laughable. Because again, well, like I said, the the supplemental features on the disc are structured in such a way where it feels like they're trying to sell the movie. And in an interview, he's like, "He's such a complicated act. He's such a complicated character. Like when he's working with the Russians, he feels like he's Russian. When he's working with the Americans, he feels like he's American." And it's like nothing you said makes any sense. <laughs> like, like what you're telling me is that you, as an actor, had no fucking clue what you were supposed to be doing from scene to scene. Every actor, and that's what it feels like. <laughs> uh, yeah, it honestly does. I feel like every actor does that too in an interview. We're like, well, the character is so complicated. They have to do this and this, and it's like they have four lines. It's like get real. Like I don't know if they th- if they legit think that or if they're just selling up the movie. I never know, but yeah. I mean, everybody has their own method for how they approach the acting process. I uh, personally really admire Anthony Hopkins. Because uh, that man gives no fucks. Uh, he, like, it, it is amazing how few fucks he has given over the course of his really illustrious career. Like, despite his accolades, that man that man knows what he's about. And it, it's, look out for number one. <laughs> like, like, famously, there was an example of, like, someone asking him about, about method acting. Mm-hmm. Like, so when you take on a role, do you, like... Do you like like do intensive research and like go out and live the life of the person you're supposed to be inhabiting? It's like, no, I'm an actor. <laughs> I show up to set and I act. <laughs> pretend. <laughs> yeah, I I pretend like I get into character because that's my job and I do a good job because I'm talented. Right. Now fuck. Now kindly <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> but then you have Shia LaBeouf, who has gotten a full chest piece tattoo. What? Uh, has had teeth pulled? Oh my gosh. Uh, yes. And for what? Yeah, he, for terrible movies. Oh. Uh, for Fury, which is not a terrible movie. Um it's a it's a David Ayer film. It's the tank World one? War 2 tank movie. Yes. He was in uh, that? Did, yes, and he was he was quite good in it. I don't remember. Uh, I will that's one of his good performances. But yeah, he apparently didn't bathe or sleep for like days or weeks on end uh so everybody was mad at him because he was the stinky guy on set and he also i think i got i think that was when he got his tooth pulled and then another uh i think it was a he was either a joe carnahan film or a david ayer film uh the tax collector i think it's called Hmm. uh he he's supposed to be like a, a part of a latin gang in like uh la okay and he he got like a chest piece tattoo 
mistakes. Um, yeah. And I think they, I think the cauliflower ears were just makeup, though, okay. thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> so he didn't have somebody jam a thumb yeah. into his ear. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't go do some mat wrestling for a few years be- to prepare for the role. Um, but yeah, that's why. That's what I was alluding to when I said like misplaced yeah, energy. Yeah, I had no idea. It's like, why? Why do you need to do that when Sir Anthony, Sir <laughs> Anthony Hopkins can just show up to set half awake? And just act circles around you just he's because like, he's talented. Hey man, just pretend. Just calm down, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if they were on the same set before, like, I don't know if they've worked on the same set, but I'm sure that would be the talk between the two of them. It was like, calm down, young man. <laughs> Separate yourself. <laughs> yeah, distance yourself from the role. Like, you don't want to bring that shit home with you. Nope. <laughs> um, but yeah, Mac is a. Uh, utterly obnoxious. Mac, kid. that's his name. Yeah, Mac. Yeah. yeah, he he is utterly obnoxious, and he's present for like virtually everything that happens in the movie. It's such that it's yeah. like, stop cutting to his big mug. I know his face is enormous, but find a way to frame around it. <laughs> um, but yeah, we get introduced to to Indy here, and I noticed something that God damn it, I'm I'm angry that Kyle's not here because Cow. I noticed some. <laughs> I noticed an extra running past the camera. Really? I, I, I like, I like, I, I like bounced into my seat and I pointed at the screen because I hadn't noticed it until this viewing. I know him. I know him. I, well, I mean, that these days that's my relationship with movies is like that's that's what I'm looking for these days. It's like, oh, I know that guy. <laughs> um, and this, I caught Andrew Devoff. Nope. Name doesn't mean anything to you, I know, it's... but to Kyle, he knows him as. The Wishmaster. Oh, I remember yeah. watching those on Sci-Fi when I was a young, yeah. young wee lad. Uh, and Andrew Devoff, who portrayed the Jin from the Wishmaster film, uh, the first two, I think he did the he did the first sequel, not the other ones. Um, and also has been punched in the face by Harrison Ford <laughs> in a previous film, Air Force One. Um, I know this because I made a Magic the Gathering card of Harrison Ford punching him, <laughs> and I, cu- I titled it Harrison Ford's Punches. <laughs> he's in he's in Air Force One. Yes, because uh, I think he has some familiarity with Russian, um, because he does speak Russian in both of these films. Although in this one, he's literally just I just saw his face. And I, was, I know him. <laughs> like that's the Wishmaster. The Russians brought the Wishmaster. <laughs> Indy, they run away. <laughs> I, I know I know it's tempting to make a wish to make this all go away, but don't. For the love of God, don't. He's not trustworthy. Um, but yeah, uh, we are. We make reference to Flensburg, I think is what it was. Uh, it's just a previous adventure that Mac and Indy had gone on. Um, and Indy, I think, gets backhanded here. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. By, the, by Igor. Igor. Um, and then as Igor is drawing back to like, like straight up slug him, like like closed fist punch, not not a backhanded slap. Uh, we're introduced to I guess our proper villain for the film, uh, Irina Spalko, Spalko. Uh, por- portrayed by Kate Blanchett. And uh, right out the gate, Nick, what did you think of Spalko? Is that a wig? <laughs> uh, I think so. Kate Blanchett is also one of those actors that gets really swept up in her role. So. That's what I'm wondering. I'm like, she, I know she, yeah. she kind of has like natural long blonde hair. I'm pretty sure. So mm-hmm. I'm like, I want. Is that a wig? That's a wig. It's awful. If it's not a wig, that's worse. Oh gosh. I presume it's a wig, but again, I wouldn't be surprised. Okay. No, I, I liked <laughs> Kate. Is it Kate Blanchett? Yeah. She was in Lord of the Rings. Honestly, that's about as far as I know her. I know she's been in like a couple of other things, but nothing that I'm gonna run out and rewatch over and over. 
So I was kind of like, okay, all right, let's see where this goes. When I was in theaters now, I'm like, well, we'll, we'll just see. I'll, I'll, I'll believe you to this point. We'll see where this goes. Um, um, you got your muscle, and you got your little, you're a smarter person, so I'm okay with it at this point. But the, <laughs> but the wig or the hair, it's distracting. And the, yeah, I I have mixed feelings about the character because she she always shows up. Like she's yes. a phenomenal actress. Yes, she is. Uh, unfortunately, she tends to be in roles that, much like you, I guess, aren't aren't particularly on my radar personally. Right. Yeah. But she she commands an incredible level of respect in the acting community. I know her to be a massively accomplished actress. She's an Aussie also. Oh, um, I did not know that. Very, very talented at covering her accent uh, as compared to some other blokes or however you want to phrase it. But um, yeah, I have mixed feelings on the character. Part of me wishes that wishes that there was someone else like above her or something. Because I think it's very strange that we have her... Uh, she's she's a representative right. of of the soviet union she's she's working under stalin she and and there's there's no double cross there's no ulterior motive like in previous indie films yeah with the exception of like malaram like like we had belloc in the first one belloc, he had yeah. his own motives and even the even the nazis working alongside him he was kind of manipulating them like using their equipment using their resources to to his own ends so there was a personal goal in mind had nothing to do with the higher ups um same with the last crusade donovan wanted the holy grail for himself for eternal life like he was just using hitler's resources to get it but in irina's case she there's none of that there's no swerve like she she's just part of the soviet union and she's an extension of them so it i feel like it it diminishes her her characterization and her threat just a little bit where it, it feels impersonal you know she's just following orders she's just kind of a goon i, I feel like though she reminded me of belloc where i feel like she actually cared like she wanted that she was all in for whatever they sent her for and that's probably why they sent her because she believed yeah. that 110 percent. so since she actually wants it herself I guess I believe that. Like, yeah, okay, she wants it, and she's going to use her muscle to get exactly what she wants, and I guess what Stalin wants? is <laughs> I don't know exactly what it is they want, but, um, yeah. yeah. It also doesn't help that during this introduction, her threat level is diminished because she she pitches herself to Indy, like, straight up. Like, hi, my name's Irina Spalko. By the way, I'm, tele- I'm te- telepathic. Oh, he's just like I forgot about that. Are you now? <laughs> he's like I'm crap, yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, she introduces himself and like this is where we get the the wobble use line that yeah. I always like. <laughs> like he he points out that her her accent makes him think that she's from yeah. Ukraine, but um yeah, she like extends her hand and attempts to read his mind and fails. I was like, this is the first scene, and she's the big bad. That's a lot. And you just demonstrated that she's inept. (laughs) I guess, yeah, that's a lot of red flags. I remember that, too, in theaters. I'm like, wow, okay, we're going all in. Yeah, you're right. That's a lot of things. It would be different, like, if she did that and it worked or something, but it doesn't. (laughs) Yeah. She's like, oh. it never does. You're hard to read. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Is is that it? (laughs) So yeah, uh, she in- attempts to interrogate Indy with her telepathic powers that <clears throat> never actually work in the movie. Jedi, um, Jedi mind powers. I mean, maybe George was on the set. 
maybe it was his idea who knows but it, it's one of those weird things it's like if you're gonna put in the movie maybe maybe have it factor in somehow maybe set it usually, up yeah set up right yeah usually, usually spielberg is actually really good about that kind of stuff he is usually fantastic about plantings and payoffs yes um, but in this case, it's just like, I don't know what the fuck that was. <laughs> Dude, I think he was asleep at the wheel or he just didn't care. It had to be. <sighs> little calm A, little calm B. But it makes me sad. Uh, th- this whole discussion is making me sad, Nick. Um, <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm here for the good ones. I, I, I thought back, I'm like, man, I'm, all, I'm only on for like the crappy one. <laughs> I, I, had, I had Die Hard. I was like, that was a good one. You had Die Hard. Had- and, and, you know, Mortal Kombat. <laughs> 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 not, not the good Mortal Kombat, just the bad. Just Mortal the two Kombat. bad ones. No big yeah, deal. Yeah, just the two bad ones. No big deal. Come on, Nick. Nick, we'd it's, love you to come on the podcast. Come on. Huh? <laughs> wow. Now you mention it, you've only been on for yeah. one good movie. Yeah. Yeah. We gotta we gotta improve that ratio. But um, so we head into Area Fifty One, which is represented by a impossibly vast warehouse. Right. Uh, that it's it's the the top men top matte painting. Men. Yes, as said by William Putkins. Uh, at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, Area 51 is basically just a big warehouse filled with boxes. Initially, in Raiders of the Lost Ark, it was a matte painting. Now, because it is 2008, it is CGI. Uh, although they did build an actual set with actual gigantic movable boxes, and that actually is the one cool thing that came out of viewing the supplemental fe- features on the disc, is that you get to actually see that quite a bit of this movie was done practically. Oh. which I know is, is really important to Kyle uh, and myself. Um, I'm not sure if that, if that extends to you as well, Nick, but it, it was actually very surprising to see how much of this actually was filmed on, on locations and on sound stages with physical props as opposed to, you know, just the Star Wars prequel situation where everything was on blue and green screens and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, they actually built, like, a, a pretty decent sized warehouse set with these gigantic movable boxes so they could like move walls around and treat it like an actual sound stage but um <clears throat> the the arc melody from rages of the lost ark plays over quite a bit of the sequence uh, just as like a a nostalgia bump i guess to like remind yep. you that yes this is indeed the same place um <laughs> so irina is looking for a specific box in here and she th- this is a weird quirk of the script for this movie is there's a lot of people just like mentioning stuff that maybe you could you could infer like took place in like indy's other adventures or something but it it's all just like noise like it doesn't actually contribute to anything it, i think it's meant to like add more depth and life to the story or something but really it just adds confusion but she she references like some sort of some sort of cra- like mysterious craft crash from 10 years ago that Indy was apparently involved in the investigation for. I noticed she has a sword on her belt in 1957. Doesn't make a lick of sense, but sure. <laughs> Put a pin in that, though, because, again, Spielberg is usually very good about plantings and payoffs, so I know what they were trying to do here, but why a sword? <laughs> why a sword in 1957? But... Uh, Indy is helping them look for this box, and at first he wants a compass, then he ends up getting some bullets, uh, because apparently the box that they're looking for is magnetized. Uh, so basically he's throwing gunpowder up in the air and following the CGI gunpowder clouds uh, to find 
the box. Uh, and eventually they also use buckshot from shotgun shells. Um, they open the box, uh, they find... Oh, by the way, I like the attention to detail here where uh, just the, the number of metal objects that are attracted to the box is actually kind of neat. Like, just all the little details of trinkets and stuff on the floor. Yeah, my wife, when I was watching it, she was over my shoulder, and she's like, why are only some things attracted to it some of the time, and other times they're okay? I'm like, yeah. Um, but did you... I, I wanted to ask you, because I actually had this... I have a list of, like, five or six things I do like in this movie. Uh, Yo. And I was like, I actually do like the bullet scene. Um, and I don't know... I want to know what you think. Do you think he did that on purpose? Like, do you think he was trying to diminish their like bullet, like their ammunition supply? Because he's like in the back of my, in the back of his mind, he's like, I'm gonna escape. At least if I can empty their clips a little bit, it'll help. <laughs> or do you think he's just like, I need bullets, and it, that was it? I, I interpret it just as the latter, okay. where he just he just needs something metal that's that's small, small enough that has like not very much weight to it. Okay. It, it it can carry in the air or something. But see, I like I like I like the sequence. I like it in concept. I just don't like its placement in the movie. Like I need some time to breathe, man. Like I was just introduced to both of the chief villains in the movie plus Mac. I don't know who Mac <laughs> is. All I know is it's got a big head. I don't know you. And a funny accent. I don't like him. <laughs> yeah, it's like I'm, I'm having a lot thrown at me. And not only that, the weird part about this is this is like one of the few instances of an opening action sequence in an Indiana Jones movie that it's carries over into the main plot of the movie. This is essential yeah, to the movie. It's Whereas the other ones, like Raiders, that... that that whole sequence in the temple is as elaborate as it was like it's the separate. hunt for that golden idol yeah. it just ends with belloc taking it from him and he goes home it, it has nothing to do with the search for the ark right and same with with the whole situation with Tem- nirhachi in the nightclub temple and temple doom, of doom. Yeah. has nothing to do with the sankara stones yep. and the last crusade takes place in a different time period <laughs> 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 So yeah, like it's bizarre to just. I feel like we hit the ground rolling too fucking fast. You're like, where it's like you know that screen time that you devoted to those fucking hot rods. Maybe you could have found it something else to put on the screen. Something something more engaging. That makes sense. Gave me a more proper introduction to things. Uh, See, it's just weird that we're doing this like intense detective work the first scene we get with Indy. It feels like we need some more time with Indy to just breathe, to just be. Um, so it, it, its placement just feels weird to me. I, I like the concept of it and the way it's carried out. It's it's a fun little intuitive detective right. thing where it's like it feels very Indiana Jones where he just kind of intuits how to how to solve the problem. Mm-hmm. And it works out like quite well, in fact. Um, but they, they find the box and references made in the script to Roswell uh, and they tear open the box, and it has like a secondary container in it. That's that's, it's like a vacuum sealed metal bag, kind of. Yeah. And it's all gooey in there, and uh, we explicitly see an alien corpse. Yeah. Oh. So within the first ten minutes of the movie, yeah. hey, aliens are a thing. I, I thought this. I I wrote down on my my paper actually. I was like. The later in the movie when they show the corpse, I thought that was the first time. But you're right. This is the first time where they show it. It's still yeah. juicy. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know how, like, at the end of Raiders, when the, when the arc opens, there's that moment of suspense where it's like, is anything going to happen? Yeah. Because we haven't confirmed that the wrath of God is in the box. Yeah. Like, we haven't confirmed that that's a thing. We've confirmed booby traps. Mm. Tons of booby traps. Lots of booby traps. Not wrath of God <laughs> in a box. Like, but this one, first ten minutes, unceremoniously, aliens, confirmed. Okay, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, <laughs> it's like okay, we got aliens. <laughs> yeah, so it's like it's it ruins an opportunity to create some suspense, you know, maybe for the end of the movie. Yeah, where you're right. They spend all this time carrying this alien art quote alien artifact, and it's not confirmed until the end that it actually is exactly what they thought it was. You you make a good point. What if this was towards the like the end where he's like, okay, now we got to figure this out. We got to solve it. We got to find it, and they find it. It almost does make more sense at the very end of the movie, and then it's it's just like it's such a big thing. Like you don't casually insert aliens into a <laughs> franchise that spans three other films that make no mention of aliens. Yeah, the, actually, I wrote that down too. I'm like, first one you've got the Ark, second one is Temple of Doom, kind of, and the third one you have the Holy Grail, which is I guess another reference, even though I, I you know, whatever. But still, it's like yeah, you have those two things, and then aliens here, aliens are here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it it's just it feels like a missed opportunity to add some grandeur, some intrigue. It, but no, they just aliens. <laughs> it's like oh, in a box, cool. <laughs> there it is. But uh, but yeah, Indy is of course being held at gunpoint by any number of armed Russian soldiers. So uh, when the alien box is opened, uh, the magnetism increases and everybody gets a little bit distracted. I like. I like that uh, they extend the magnetism to Irina's sword. Mm-hmm. Like it, it like flips up every now and again. You see her like tamping it down. Like she's clearly embarrassed. But and then like people's like dog tags and their rifles are being pulled and stuff. It, it's a neat attention to detail. But as as your wife had pointed out, it's a it's oddly inconsistent though. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh in the confusion indy just socks a dude in the fucking face and uh uses his whip because he's indy and harrison ford apparently did put some time in he he did some of the whip action in all of these movies oh. and he legit did it uh, so he legit grabbed a tommy gun with a whip it's kind of cool uh and then uh mac betrays him though uh he he holds a gun up to Indy as he's trying to get away, and uh, he refers to himself as a capitalist. Oh, it's the same thing. You're right. That would have made more sense at the end. Like, we, we were just introduced to this. We don't even know his we name. Just met, we just met him. We, we had no reason to trust him yet. Like, like, why is this a surprise when I don't even know anything about him yeah. to begin with? Um, but he, they talk a little bit, and there's reference again reference to a previous adventure that is not featured in this film of the two of them working together indy and mac uh spying on the russians sometime in the past like so between world war ii and 1957 um and uh yeah indy throws the gun down on the floor and the way he gets away is it's indie like but even this feels a little dumb by even yeah. by indie standards this is just pure dumb luck yeah pure dumb luck because the way he gets out of the situation is he's being held up now not only by the russians but by mac also Uh, he gets away by throwing his gun down on the floor and it just happens to go off which is which is not a guarantee that the trigger is going to go off no and not only that the bullet hits someone like that also not guaranteed so the probability at work here is a little out of control but it hits a dude in the foot 
And uh, Indy runs off and he, he starts scaling the boxes uh, and all the Russians give chase. And uh, this is where we actually get a fun Indy gaff. <coughs> yes. I liked him using his whip to grab onto the, the ceiling lights and swing onto a truck yeah. that he doesn't quite get the distance on and yeah. he falls backwards through the, yes. through the driver's, like through the windshield. And he has the remark, I thought that was closer. <laughs> Did you like that? That's, I did. And that's, I, thought that was, I, I thought that was cute. That's the second thing on my things I do like list is that line. I was like, I actually do like that. I like that. And then it. Well, it, and it, it, it signals that he's older, but it also feels within character that's like, yeah, of course. He's just, he's running away on boxes. It's like, well, I got to do something. Right. I'm going to get shot. So he tries for it. Doesn't quite work out, but. Now he's in a truck, so he starts hitting people, <laughs> <laughs> like like you do. <laughs> I thought it was fine. Like I was like, yeah, that does feel consistent with all the other movies. <laughs> That's right. Went in a truck, punch. Yeah, went in doubt. Just start start throwing hands. <laughs> I don't know you. I'm gonna hit you. <laughs> but uh, he jumps from the truck uh, into Irina's car, uh, and we get a, a really cool physical gag here, where they actually. Like the box explosion when he like crashes through the wall, yeah. that was done with actual live props oh. and people on, people flying on wires. But the actual box explosion was real, like on set, and it's pretty spectacular to see like the behind the scenes footage of it. it looks awesome, <laughs> dangerous but awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we get a, a weird bit where uh, it's like a weird stunt gag where uh, India and Mac are headed directly towards each other. Yeah. They're playing chicken yeah, with each chicken, other. Yeah. Two 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 vehicles. And the framing just feels really wrong because the camera's pulled so far back. It's like way up, yeah. Yeah, it's way up in the rafters, and it's so far back that it's actually difficult to get a a read on exactly what you're watching because you see Mac very briefly in a car, and then the camera pulls way the fuck back, and you just hear Mac repeatedly yelling, you don't know him, you don't know him. But the camera's so far away that it's like you you don't have enough visual information to remind you of who is where and what's happening. So when the cars hit each other, you, you kind of discount the fact that Mac is in there. Yeah, well, there's a third car, too, isn't there? I think so. And I'm like, <laughs> who's the third car? But then the very next scene is Mac is standing. Like he's fine. He's just, yeah. He's, yeah. He's he's, he, he's fine. By the way, after all that, after all that hollering and that head-on collision, he's, oh, right, yeah. he's fine. He's just like, oh, there he goes. <laughs> I mean that that. That big old noggin's useful for something. It's a good pad. <laughs> Absorbing <laughs> impact, yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Indy escapes up into the rafters with his whip. And uh, we get some... I liked him running around the rafters. Yeah. Like he's just like hopping and skipping. It actually looks legitimately yeah. kind of dangerous. and It's well shot. Like this whole opening sequence is actually pretty good. I, like it's, yeah, I, I do like... It's fine. This is probably the part I like of the movie. <laughs> the part. <laughs> uh, but at some point, uh, Igor, uh, oh, our, yeah. our our big guy uh, from the opening sequence, uh, he gets hold of Indy, and they both go flying through a plate oh. glass window. Multiple windows, by the way. Yeah. And there's a really awesome stunt here that I really appreciate, but the framing of it is it, it's a little disingenuous. Okay. It's it's simu- it's simultaneously genuine and disingenuous. <laughs> if that makes so basically what I'm alluding to here is it's Harrison Ford's stunt double and Igor, like flying through a window onto like a, a platform that's hanging suspended above the ground, and then there's this awesome gag where again Harrison Ford's stunt double swings on a whip and kicks him oh, through yes. another window, yes. and it's all done seamlessly in one shot. 
but because there's an obvious stunt double involved, the camera's pulled way back. Yeah, it is. And it robs it of a lot of impact, but when you when you just watch it, it's like, wow, that was amazing. Would have been kind of cool if we had some, you know, um, cinematography yeah. involved. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, editing and cinematography aren't a sin when it comes to showing stunts and stuff. But I think that I think they made the wrong choice because when it comes to showcasing stunt work, there's there's multiple schools of thought where one is don't cut, don't cut for nothing. Like just let the audience drink in all the details and appreciate the fact that all of that was done without any cinematic trickery. But then there's also the other school of thought where it's like, or you could move the camera <laughs> and get the best angles that make make give it that oomph factor, as you mentioned. Well, I'm just a guy, and I can honestly say I don't remember this being one shot or seamless or anything. I think <laughs> the average guy who's just wanting to get away from the you know eight to four or whatever job, it, it, he's just wanting to see some some something cool. So. Make the cut. You, Make you it want, up. You want, yeah, you, you want you want that oof you need the ouch factor yes. when it comes to stunts and, and like bumps and stuff. Because like like you ever get that feeling when you're watching a good stunt where somebody like gets thrown into a wall or like they're like they do one of those they do one of those bike stunts that I think actually happens in this movie where somebody gets like hit like they get banged on the side of a tree as the vehicle's going past. Like, oh yes. You, if you frame yeah. that right, like in on the couch, you like you like jerk. You're like ooh. Yes. <laughs> but because the camera was so f- pulled back for this, it, it just it happens. And and because I'm obsessive about this kind of stuff, I I was like that was fucking cool. Only problem is like like you said, it just lacks impact. Um. But yeah, they they tussle a little bit. This is a prelude to. I I guess it's intended to be a prelude. It feels kind of weird having the same guy. Two, for two different fights oh, yeah. um, again there's not really precedent for that in the Indiana Jones films I mean they kind of did that in Temple of Doom where uh, Pat Roach and Brownface uh, roughs, roughs up Indy in the midpoint of the movie and then they go at it later But the, this the is throughout the whole Pat, thing Pat, yeah. Pat Roach not in Brownface in Raiders <laughs> he just shows up for the plane fight one time right yeah, yeah just one and done and that was enough but yeah it's the same guy for two different fights but yeah they go at it a bit a chain is involved at one point but then they both fall on a rocket sled uh that gets triggered and we get some looney tune it feels like a wily e. coyote skin, yeah. basically <laughs> yeah. um basically the the trauma of being on a rocket powered sled causes them both to pass out and there's a fun bit where igor's like got his head resting on his shoulder and he's passed out asleep like a baby. They did show. I, I didn't remember this, but the last time I watched it, they showed the the, um, the whatever it's called, the afterburner, the actual whatever it is, the flame itself burning the soldiers up. And I was yes. like, oh wow, they actually did show that. So that actually surprised See, that, me. That's what's weird. Yes. It's like nobody really gets shot in this movie, but they get set on fire <laughs> <laughs> in center frame. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, multiple Russian soldiers get set on like computer-generated fire, but, but still, still fire. fire. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for kids. <laughs> oh, but yeah, there are uh, there are groundhogs present yeah. for the rocket sled. Number two, yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> number two, that's two groundhog instances. Uh, yeah, they do a head turn as it as it blows past them. But uh, yeah, they like Indy wakes up first and he recovers his hat. And uh, I noticed that Irina was like pleased with Max's work. She says, you did a good job. And I was like, no, he didn't. No, he, yeah, <laughs> like, awful, huh? he got in a car accident. <laughs> like, the that's worst guy he, ever. <laughs> yeah, that's, that was his contribution. He failed at stopping Indiana Jones, and he got in a car wreck. <laughs> Who hired this guy? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, but now it's nighttime all of a sudden. It was not night when, when this movie began, by the way. Uh, we were in broad fucking daylight during the hot, hot rod sequence. <laughs> but now it is night. It is the dead of night. And we get a bizarre transition. And this is what I'm talking about, about merging the opening sequence of your movie with the rest of the movie. Like, there's a reason why Indiana Jones was conceived as the American James Bond. Like, they're cut from the same cloth. Like, a lot of yep. James Bondisms were borrowed by Indiana Jones. Like, like the unrelated action scene to open the film. That's a hallmark of the James Bond series. Oh. The mission briefing after the prologue, also a hallmark of the James Bond films. Um, <clears throat> in this case, we have prologue that isn't a prologue it's actually just the movie yeah, like we're just rolling it's the movie yeah so so yeah now we have an instance where it is now nighttime and then we just do a hard we just do a fade into daytime so it's like why did you even bother having it transition to nighttime you mean indiana jones just spent the night in the desert yep what what <laughs> yep it it just fades. It we just do a simple fade, and all of a sudden it's a different time of day, and and Indy's in a different part of the desert. It's just like, what are we doing? <laughs> yep, we're there. He spent the night with the prairie and, dogs. We're well, and the, actually, now that I mentioned that, it hadn't occurred to me. This whole sequence with the nuke is extraneous. It doesn't contribute anything. It does nothing. Why? And I'll ask it again throughout this whole damn movie. Like, <laughs> why is this here? It does. It doesn't contribute anything other than maybe giving an excuse for how they, how he's, how Indy is found. Yes, the the I guess maybe? the exposition dump later or whatever the interrogation, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, that's the only it, thing I, I can think of. But that, that that's that's kind of it. But yeah, basically, Indy comes across a fabricated town in the middle of the desert which, spoiler alert, is meant to be part of a nuclear bomb test in the middle of the desert. Uh, And the set construction here is kind of neat. Like, it is like a 1950s neighborhood. Um, Some of the attention to detail is... It's kind of weird when you think about, but at the same time, I could totally, I, I could you totally could see, see someone doing this. Yes. Yeah, it's like, yeah, if you're if you're testing things that kill people, generally you do go the extra mile. Yeah. So I guess it makes sense to have the TV plugged in and actually playing something. Yeah. Like you really, you really don't have to. But it's not really going to change the effect of the demolition, but you know. <laughs> so yeah, one of these houses is playing the Howdy Doody show. And Indy, like, stumbles in there. And, uh, yeah, uh, this is the sequence that is uh, referred to on the Internet as nuking the fridge. Uh, wherein the the alarm starts going off, the countdown is set, uh, the bomb's going to drop, Indy is made aware of this, the Russians ditch him. And I, I did like Harrison. Anytime Harrison Ford is yelling at people, yes. it makes me... It, it makes me smile. Is he like, <laughs> like, yeah, sure, don't wait for me. <laughs> like, I, I mean, anytime he's yelling at people, I'm happy. Yeah, so, An- like, very animated, they, they, yes. Yeah, he's he is good at that. And and to his credit, Harrison Ford is not bad in this movie. No, he, movie. he showed up. He actually did show up for this. Absolutely. I, th- I think a lot of the actors did show up. Uh, Ray Winstone had no direction, so I know him. I know him to be a good actor, but I think he showed up to set every day and nobody, nobody talked to him. He, he didn't know. They didn't know. Yeah, like, Just like he, be whatever. I'm sure he he kept approaching Steven Spielberg in the break room or at, at craft services. He's like, "So Steven, uh, what what are we doing for today's scene?" He's just like. Who are you? <laughs> How long have you been here? Just uh, go, go with your gut. Go with your gut. 
Yeah, yeah, the character's huh? supposed to be kind of, he's supposed to have multiple identities. He's not, he's not really supposed to have an, any sort of bearing on, on where he's at or what he's doing. It's, that's not helpful to me, Steven. <laughs> <laughs> not helpful at all. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I got a lot to do. <laughs> <Here you go>. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, even better. Every, t- every time Ray Winstone approached Steven Spielberg for direction, George Lucas would show up with, with coffee. He'd be like, in that stage where you're still sipping it, like you're not ready to talk just yet. And he'd see George and, you know, and, and Steve would be like, oh shit. <laughs> he'd just like dip out. <laughs> like, just anything to get away from George and whatever the fuck George has to say that day. <laughs> I, I, I hate to say it, but I'm sure that's true. Just wherever. I feel like George just probably one of those guys where it's like, oh crap, we get, uh, gotta get out of here. That's- He's going to tell me about his new car. and (laughs) He's going to go on and on about gaskets and shit. (laughs) George, I don't care. (laughs) For the love of God, I don't care. And he'd keep talking. George would just keep talking. To the point where you wonder, like, why are they friends? How many takes? (laughs) How many takes were ruined by George Lucas talking over the audio? (laughs) They do. They do the clapboard. They got, they do the sync sound. The guy, the boom operator is holding out the pole, and you still hear George. Yes, I just bought this this banana colored hot rod. George, we're rolling. Jesus. I love when Rich Evans does his George Lucas impersonation. Oh, it's fantastic. Uh, yeah, uh, folks at home, if you're not aware, uh, Rich Evans of uh, Red Letter Media fame. Uh, A.K.A. the guys from Wisconsin, Wisconsin. As I often refer, I often refer to them as that for shorthand. But uh, yeah, this sequence is known as nuking the fridge. Uh, I may have gone too far <laughs> in a few places. <laughs> Where is that from? The Phantom Menace documentary behind the scenes. That's the yes. editing, viewing, whatever. After so, they showed Nick- it. <laughs> So Nick just held up a screenshot on his phone, uh, it's subtitled, of George Lucas talking about the end product that is the Phantom Menace. And it's just dot, dot, dot. I may have gone too far in a few places. <laughs> no, George. Not at all. Oh, shoot. Yeah, Jar Jar Jar's the key to all of this. Like, It's really important to get him to work. It's poetry. Yeah. So yeah, nuking the fridge is essentially uh, Indiana Jones takes refuge in a lead-lined uh, refrigerator and survives a nuclear blast. Uh, I don't know if any miniatures were involved in the in the explosion effect we have here. Uh, very clearly, quite a bit of CGI was used for the mushroom cloud and and the shock wave and all that. But um, yeah, uh, the fridge is tossed and it goes tumbling, it goes bounding down the hills. Uh, I'm sorry, this is far-fetched, even by Indiana Jones standards. It's it's too much. It's just too much. This is it. This is it, yeah. Trevor. This, this, this was the moment, Nick? This was the moment. This is the moment. This is the moment. <clears throat> I was in theaters. I remember watching this. And he hops out of the fridge, and I'm like, nope. You broke it. Yeah. It's gone. It's over. This charade, it's gone. It's dead. This moment broke me, and I knew that just this moment going forward, it was just completely different. It was like I'm not, I'm not here. Whatever this is, this is farce. This, <laughs> this, <laughs> this, you ruined it. It's over. Yeah, 
Yeah, I I don't think I I totally checked out at this. I thought it was I rolled my eyes at it for sure. No. I still do because it's it's just too much, man. Yeah, like it's it's way too much because like I get it. Like the idea of Indy is that he always gets by, you know, like by the skin of his teeth. Like, <clears throat> like he's a rough and tumble hero that improvises most of his game plans on the spot. And yes, him ducking into a fridge or a bathtub like with a grenade in the room or something. Yes, that is an indie move. But in nuclear blast, and then and, He's like, oh. and then they go to then they they make it worse by showing the impact of the fridge hitting the ground. It's just like no, I I can buy you jumping out of an inflatable raft into a river like like that that's cool. Like it helps too that like Willie is screaming the whole time they're falling, so you're reminded like oh yeah, there's a human factor in there. But no, it's just it's just you see this object go <laughs> flying out of a nuclear blast and bounding down these hills it's like no he would be hamburger i'm yeah. sorry like even indiana jones even martin martin riggs <laughs> even martin riggs like he would derive no pleasure from that particular beating he would be an ex-person um it's just too much and then we have that image of him staring up into the the mushroom cloud but before that as soon as the door opens and we see he's all right prairie dog number three number three Number three. Number three. Three minutes. Yeah. yeah, we get three minutes of prairie dogs <laughs> in this movie. And it's just it's just like salt on the wound. It is. It really is. It it, it is like a big fuck you to it, anybody who could possibly care. Uh, uh, why? <laughs> <laughs> you turned into Arnold for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you put that audio over the fridge flying through the air, then you then you have a movie. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Indy gets picked up apparently by the U.S. military, and he gets disinfected Austin Powers style. Um, we don't get the liquid hot goo phase though, um, and we learn through dialogue here that Indy was in the OSS uh, during World War II, so he was in uh, spycraft and subterfuge and all that against the Nazis. So he actually directly participated in the war, not just in uh, archaeological terms. <laughs> But uh, Nick has a note here. Well, I was just going to say that during this whole scene, they were talking about, like, you did all these things. Check mark, check mark, box, 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 blah, 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 blah. And somebody, I, I was reading online, as you do on the interwebs, it's like somebody made a good point. It's like, why didn't you make a movie about that? Why not just do that? That sounds like a thousand times more interesting than whatever you got here so far. Yeah, I don't know if the young Indiana Jones television series covered World War II. I know it covered World War One. Oh. Um, but you know, India as a spy, sure, sure. I mean, there are any number of fucking things you could have done that would have, on paper, on paper, not not even as a film, just on paper, just sound better than Kingdom <laughs> of the Crystal Skull. Even that title is upsetting <laughs> because I don't know what a crystal skull is. Nope. Like I'm. Uh, did, did you know what a crystal skull was before the movie, Nick? Uh, no, the Nat Geo guy did though. He he was always talking, <laughs> and that's yeah. See, that's what I'm wondering. Well, only Dan Aykroyd and George Lucas <laughs> care about crystal skull. <laughs> I forgot about Dan Aykroyd and his vodka. Yeah, no, it, it you know it was like a, a new agey thing. I I know that like it was believed that that they held mystical properties, but to this day, it's like one of those things they don't even know. Like most people seem to agree, it's all bullshit. <laughs> like, yeah. like it was all fabricated. So like I came into the movie not knowing any of that. Yeah, you know? it's just like yeah. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Yeah, I was the same. Oh, yeah, by the yeah. 
And by the time we get to the end of the movie, the kingdom part of it is even more upsetting because it's like we didn't really do much there, did we? Nope. <laughs> Blew it up. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But <laughs> but yeah, we learned that Indy was part of the Roswell investigation, so Irina was right. Her intel was accurate there. And then we're introduced to, uh, I caught this name, uh, General Bob Ross. <laughs> well, who was that? Oh, the guy that comes just, in? It's just some guy that comes in. Like, you don't in know Indiana Jones. He's, yeah, you should be bowing down to this man. He's so great. Yeah, that guy? Yeah, so the FBI is interrogating uh, Indiana Jones because this is the 1950s and McCarthyism was in vogue. So this is alluding to the, the climate at the time. And they they make a lot of unnecessary reference to that in this movie. It's like you, I, I, then again, they kind of did that in the other indie movies with all the the Nazi yes, stuff the as Nazi well. Stuff, there, yeah. there there are things in the periphery that it's there if you're looking for it, but this one's much more explicit with it, I guess, and it just bogs things down. But uh, we uh, we learned that Max's full name is George McHale, by the way. Um, but yeah, General Bob Ross. <laughs> And uh, we end the scene with the FBI basically saying, you're on our radar, Dr. Jones. Don't fuck up. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> then we, we cut to uh, Indy's University, uh, where we've seen in all the previous films except for Temple of Doom. And uh, we're introduced to Charlie, who is uh, subbing in for Marcus Brody. Yes. Uh, he is played by Jim Broadbent, uh, who, again, like I said, is subbing in for Marcus Brody because Denholm Elliott unfortunately passed away. Uh, which is a bummer. Um, unfortunately, he's not the only cast member who passed away. Uh, P- Pat Roach, apparently the the big guy that had all the fist fights with Indy over all the other films, uh, died before the making of this film, so he was unable to attend as well. Um, but yeah, Marcus not being here hurts the film a little bit because Jim Broadbent is a fantastic actor, but just having a, a new guy who we haven't met before, similar to Mac, it's just like it's disarming. Where it's just like. Who are you? Where are you? Who who are you? Why should I care? It's like I know who I know the actor, but maybe that's what they were trying to do with some of the casting in this movie. It's just like you know the face. Put, yeah, yeah, you know the face. So we're just gonna let their face do all the heavy lifting in terms of characterization. But uh, Indy is fired uh, because he's under FBI investigation. We also learned that Charlie resigned. And then we cut to Indy's house, and <laughs> I think there's a scene missing because uh, Charlie is getting boozed in the background, and it. I get the sense he had more than one drink. <laughs> oh, yeah, he <laughs> but, did, yeah. Yeah. And uh, Indy's r- he's prattling on about what to do next. He's thinking about moving to Germany, of all places, uh, to continue his teaching, teaching career. career. Yeah, yeah. and uh, we get some lip service paid again to the, uh, yeah. the political climate of the day, uh, McCarthyism and whatnot. And uh, this is where we also get, we are informed uh, that Sir Sean Connery uh, is not going to be in, the in attendance yep. uh, because Indy alludes to like the past couple of years having been rough. He's like rough couple of years, Charlie. And then uh, the camera trains, it transfixes on uh, Sean Connery's photo on the desk and just Indy cupping his chin <laughs> in his hands, staring longingly at, at this photo of the great Sean Connery. It, I've seen this used as a gif in reference to just like what could have been kind of stuff or just like missing someone or missing an element in a story very badly because what a different movie this would have been if Sean Connery had showed up. Yep. Because he was, st- I would just, I looked this up too when I watched it. I was like, he was still alive at this point, right? Yeah, he was. Uh, he he died very recently. 2020. Very, yeah. yeah, very recently. The world, I always said when I was a kid, the world would weep when Sean Connery passed. I would, 
Unfortunately, I think I was wrong, but I always felt that, even as a kid. But he had retired from acting. Yeah. Uh, after the debacle that was the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Hey. <laughs> yeah. He he uh, he he dipped out of a lot of big franchises. He was asked to be in the Matrix. Uh, he was asked to be in Lord of the Rings. He declined both. And then finally he said yes to the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which uh, is not as well remembered as either of those films, <laughs> or franchises rather. So after that, he said he's hanging it up. He's all done. And uh, he stayed, re- to, his, to his credit, the man stayed retired. Mm-hmm. Uh, even for Indy 4, he just wasn't willing so they wrote him off as dead <laughs> they killed him off screen yep dad's dead which sucks um but uh indy heads to the train and the fbi is in hot pursuit or at least we think it's the fbi it's suited individuals and then we are introduced to mutt williams mutt. so this would be shia labeouf's character he is riding a motorcycle like at the train station yeah. looking for indy and uh, he asks Indy through the window of the train car about someone named Oxley, who, again, we, the audience, don't know nope. who Oxley Who's is. That? That, which which is fine, which is fine. I mean, Rages of the Lost Ark, we had a lot of reference to someone named Abner. Yeah, that's uh, true. Ravenwood. He's he's never alive in the whole franchise. Never seen him, yeah. So, that, so I'm not saying that that's like a, evidence of a weak script or something. Just another just like one, you, yeah. Yeah, it's just you're just throwing a lot at me that doesn't, mean much of anything to me so i'm just like when do they start hitting each other (laughs) uh but uh, apparently oxley's name carries a lot of weight with indy so they head to a diner and uh we actually have a decent conversation between these two actors yeah 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 i i I think it's kind of i think (coughs) it's a kind of good scene we get some characterization in the form of like mutt very casually stealing a drink um as as they're talking yeah, like a waitress is passing and he just like grabs one of the bottles without asking or anything. He just does it like in the like without asking and then he looks away and Indy Put, replaces it. Right back, it. yeah. Yeah, and it it establishes a dynamic that could have been interesting but doesn't really amount to much. I, I did like this scene. I did like the diner scene and the little the little scuffle that follows afterward and the escape. Uh, yeah. I didn't really care so much about the follow up though. I didn't really care about this chase scene. What did you think? I thought on a purely technical level, it's really impressive. Oh, really? Like, like the driving stunts are really, really cool. Like the camera work it, and and a couple of the stunts are absolutely incredible. Like Indy's stunt double going through yes. the car and back back onto the Bike. moving motorcycle. Yeah, that looked. That's pretty. That's pretty cool. That did look legit, but I don't know why. I don't know if it's the camera work or if it's just me. I've seen too much. I'm just like. Yeah, I guess it's okay, but I guess maybe as an average moviegoer, I can't appreciate it on that level. Where maybe I'm looking more for the um for spectacle more than just yes, he got out of that and jumped back on. But I I, I don't I, know. I understand actually. Uh, see, for me, it's because I I I appreciate stunt work as much as I appreciate acting. Yeah. So when I see the stunt when I see the stunt performer like the stunt double standing in for the actor i don't get disappointed by that i just appreciate the person who did the thing right um but there certainly is something to be said for uh the the oomph factor that comes from having uh a a honest reaction to the to the stunt like for instance like uh (laughs) i hate to do this to you nick but it always happens every recording uh wrestling (laughs) um um (laughs) 
in in wrestling there's there's a concept called selling yeah where you sell when something yeah. when something is done to you you have to sell it yeah you sell the reaction to it uh so like in an acting performance or like performance of a stunt or something there's not only the act of doing the the harrowing stunt there's also the reaction like the effort expended in order to do that yeah makes sense so it's so if you're denied that because of angles uh, because of the restrictions that come with framing a, a stunt double, then you don't get like the facial reaction, like the, like Harrison Ford gritting his teeth and looking like he's yeah, legitimately yeah. in danger. And that actually is a little bit of a problem with a, the way a lot of the stunt work is framed in this movie is, is like we said about the Russian guy going through the window and like that one take stunt. The camera's so far yes. back, similar to the car stunt too. Yeah, like the camera's so far back that there, you don't get to see the reaction to it. Therefore, you're kind of checked out. Like you don't, you don't feel it. I guess it, it feels effortless. So it, and like t- take for instance, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, um, the truck chase. Yes, like most most of the heavy lifting of that is performed by a stunt double, but they were very careful about inserting reaction shots of Harrison Ford gritting his teeth and like holding onto the truck and looking scared and in danger. But they don't do that with a lot of this. They just have the stunt play out live and think that that's going to carry it. And it, it doesn't like you need that insert of Harrison Ford looking legitimately freaked out because I can play back that truck scene from Raiders in my mind, but, and it feels like he did it. Yes. And here it's just like, Okay. Some guy did it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it looks cool because of the camera movement. Like, like you can tell that there's actual yes. live vehicles yes. moving and that there's a camera following it. But it, it just – you take it for granted, I guess. Yeah. And you really shouldn't, but I can't fault you for that. That's that's the fault of the filmmaker. But it's a, it's a difference in, in approach that I think doesn't work, work out for the movie. No. No, I think that's accurate. But yeah, uh, we get out to this motorcycle chase that I won't go into much more detail than we just did. That that really did sum it up. Fair it real, actually, yeah. I think on a, a purely technical level, it is actually a really awesome sequence, but I can see why you wouldn't be as engaged as maybe you needed to be in order to get the most out of it. But the way we get there is pretty fun. Yeah, uh, yeah. We, we get a lot of exposition about things to come. Like uh, we get Akator name dropped. That would be the titular kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which is a fabled place that i think they actually just fabricated entirely for this movie which also robs the story of a little bit of dramatic weight legitimacy yeah yeah because you know like the the ark of the covenant the holy grail these are things that you can look up in antiquity and actually like do a little research on like these are actual things Things. that have history behind them but like akator it's like if you tried to look that up it's like oh they made it up for the movie cool (laughs) but um we also learned that Mutt's mom was abducted, uh, and Oxley has been abducted by people. Like, <laughs> there's there's a lot of there's a lot of information that's spit out here. I I I appreciate the performances, but the actual exposition that's being doled out here is deeply boring. That's a, that's <laughs> a good point because I remember that scene. It's like they're abducted, it's, and I guess in my mind I'm like, I guess it was the same people, but it's like, why would it be? How could it be? Like it doesn't make any sense when you think about it that way. Well, again, things things that aren't relevant, things that don't yet feel relevant. So we have an we have a situation where we are introduced to a young man on a motorcycle. He references two people whom, if 
whom, whom we don't know. Two more people. Who have been abducted. Additional people, so, yeah. So two more people that we don't know have been abducted and we're supposed to care. It's like, I don't know who they are. <laughs> like, why should I care? In fact, Indy should have just said that. Like, That's great, kid. <laughs> why should I care? <laughs> but um, I liked uh, how they get out of this. Yes. So the, a couple of agents who they initially think are the FBI turn out to be KGB people because they have wobble use on their accents. KGB. I am part of KGB. Um, and the way they get out of it is they're being escorted out of the diner and uh, Mutt just happens to be dressed up like a greaser. Uh, so Indy just tells him, like, hit this guy. <laughs> hit, hit this guy. <laughs> I think he refers to him as Joe College. Joe College, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's a kid with a Letterman jacket because they're in a college town. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, Mutt slugs this guy right in the fucking nose, and it makes the makes the Indiana Jones thwack noise, which is always appreciated. My, and then uh, Joe, Joe College's girlfriend gets in on the action. That's my boyfriend. My boyfriend. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> And then Mutt just happens to fall into a crowd of greasers, uh, eh? leather-clad greasers, <laughs> and uh, one of one of the preppy guys yells, "Get that greaser!" <laughs> and uh, we have shake, let rattle and roll shake playing as roll, yeah. we just we just get this awesome just yeah. like mob of people going at it. Like glasses are smashed on uh, each other's heads. It's it's, it's, fun. it's like it's like five seconds of awesome. It is, yeah. It's like that was pretty That's fucking fun, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that, they escape in the confusion, and then they they hop onto Mutt's motorcycle, and yeah, uh, it's it's a pretty well constructed action sequence. Um, there's a kind of a dumb gag at the end where uh, Indy kind of contradicts himself a little bit, where uh, they uh, they end up in the library, and Mutt has to lay the bike down to slide under a table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they end up at the feet of a kid that's like flipping through a book and he just asks dr jones like his professor like a question and uh indy like gives him a tip as to how to look up that particular information as they're running away like indy yells to the crowd of students are all just like what the fuck was that <laughs> like like he yells to them like to be a good archaeologist you have to get out of the library it's like you said the opposite in like the previous movie, <laughs> like, <laughs> I just find it weird that that kid would ask a question like that too. It's like you just got almost killed by a motorcycle, and you're like, "Oh, Doctor Jones, what's the uh, answer to this question?" No, nah. it's corny. <laughs> it's corny. I mean, it's cute, but it's yeah. too cute. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Uh, but we go back to Indy's house to do some more research. Uh, we learn what language a letter that Mutt obtained from oxley is written in uh indy does some detective work to track down where the 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 origin of the letter might be so the the language is koyoma uh so i guess that gives him an idea of the region where where the letter may have come from being as it's written in that language um i did like that mutt (laughs) mutt compliments him and then he gives him uh, he says, like, you're pretty good in a fight. And he's like, where are you, like, 80? <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't even comment. It's like, like whatever. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he's like, yeah, I am. <laughs> what of it? <laughs> yeah. No, he doesn't even comment. He just, like, blows past it. But it, it's it's the movie making fun of itself for how old Harrison Ford is. Right. It's like, it's, in, it's unavoidable, so it's probably just better to address yeah, it head on. Yeah, bring it up, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, we get reference to the Nazca lines which apparently are in Peru and are actually a, a, a land formation that exists 
Uh, we do see it during the travel sequence that follows here. We get our customary Indiana Jones overhead map sequence, the yes, red line yeah. traveling across the globe. So that. we head to Peru. Uh, we see that my, Mutt brought his bike for very little reason, honestly. Is this the grave scene? Is this where we're at? Yeah, we head to town initially. Um, we learn from the locals that Oxley, oftentimes referred to as Ox, uh, who is oh, apparently yes. a professor cell, and yeah. uh, kind of a contemporary of Indiana Jones, as they went to school together, or at least they were at the same school for a time. Um, and we get mentioned that Indy rode with Pancho Villa back in the day, so yet another exploit that I miss, maybe would have... I missed that completely. It's one, it's one line of dialogue. Why? One line. Yeah, I don't know why, but he, he mentions it. Maybe maybe just to ingratiate himself to Mutt. Like, show that, yeah, I did some cool stuff. Kill, killed a lot of Nazis. <laughs> but uh, we get a kind of a fun bit where it plants the seeds for a joke later on where Mutt references that he, he quit prep school, which is Spielberg giving an excuse as to why Mutt can handle a sword, which I think is a little dumb. Yep. But they, it's it's the script's way of addressing that right up front. Oh yeah, um, his, uh, so he his useless yeah. skills list is that what you're talking about? Yeah, or is casually talking about his quote unquote useless skills? I wrote that down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's dumb, but yeah, he went to prep school and they dipped out, and then he says that he wants to repair motorcycles for for a living. Indy approves, which plants the seeds for a joke later. Yeah, to come. Yeah. He's like, yeah, if, I mean, if that makes you happy, whatever. Uh, we see that Mac is tailing them, and that we head to an asylum, and very briefly we get a little bit of detective work where Indy, like, is looking... There's, like, scrawlings all over the walls, and the reason why I'm just blowing through all this is because it, it's just not engaging. No, yeah, like, no. I, I, just my, can't, I, I just can't be bothered to care about what's happening. My notes, like, for the end of the movie, like, are just, like, one thing, because you're right. It's not engaging. It's just, like... Okay, this happens. I have like one note for every, I don't know, what is this, like five, every five minutes? It's just, there's well, nothing that's here. That's the problem, is that, is that they go a lot of places, they do a lot yeah. of, but they don't do a lot of things. Yeah, they, they do just nothing. go to places, and then so much of it is imparted to us through dialogue that, again, you're talking, you're talking about a lot of people who will manifest later in the movie. But for now, I don't even have a face. Like, I don't know who you're. I don't know who Oxley is. Yeah. Like, and and you keep going on and on about him. And at one point, Shia LaBeouf is shedding tears <laughs> over Oxley, and it's like, whoa! <laughs> Remember how I mentioned the the misplaced effort? It's like I don't think anybody needs to be shedding tears on the set of an Indiana Jones film, sir. I don't remember a tear being shed in any movie. <laughs> no, it's because it's not called for. They're not that kind of movie. They're fun. Like Indiana Jones movies are fun. I don't. But Shia apparently got in his head that like, oh, I'm supposed to have this like really deep, insightful relationship with this guy Oxley who hasn't been in the film yet and won't even have any good dialogue until like the last ten minutes of the movie. I should I should go into my trailer and like work up some tears. Yeah, yeah. I should I should punch myself in the face so I can be crying when the cameras are rolling. It's like, Steve, Steven Spielberg's just like. I hired you to be the no 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 kid from the Transformers movies. Can you bring that energy? Can you just be the no 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 no? You're being or the go 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 go. You're being too serious. Yeah, could could you just not care as much? <laughs> Where's Sir Anthony Hopkins? I think he should play Indiana Jones' teenage son. <laughs> I think he would do it just fine. 
But yeah, he he works up like legitimate tears wow. over over the site. He it's because he's they're looking at this asylum cell where Oxley oh, was being yeah, held. Yeah. And he's like, "Oh, my friend lost his mind." And we later learn that Oxley kind of was his surrogate father for a spell. Uh so I Oh well. To, he cares a lot about the old man, I guess, but um, there's return written on on the wall in all manner of languages. Uh, Indy notes that uh, the skull etchings all over the walls uh, of the crystal skull that we'll later see in the film uh, don't match the silhouette of the skull of the alien he knows from Roswell. So we have not only aliens in the Indiana Jones universe, multiple species of aliens. <laughs> Twice. <laughs> <laughs> Good God. <laughs> like... like movie could you like give a shit about something for real like like, like really it, one does not casually inject aliens into a franchise like, like you have to do with care like approach with care um but they sweep the floor and uh they see that there are etchings on the floor that uh seem to be a map to something called oriana's grave and we cut immediately to Oriana's grave. <laughs> so so apparently, it was a, apparently it was a fucking great map. Because <laughs> we don't spend any time searching for it. Yeah, we just no, cut. We just cut to the grave. No, site. you're right. He's like, this is a this is a map of his grave site. And it's like, oh, okay. Well, those are just random. Im- like they're random. Like there's nothing there that would tell you where it's at. It's literally just an image. If you were to look down. That's the gravesite, but he's like, yeah, we it's we do here. A crossfade. We do a crossfade, and the map isn't an instruction that has as to how to get no. there. It's it's literally a layout. It's a picture. Of the yeah, gravesite. it's a yeah. layout. Yeah, you're right. And they're just like, okay, we're here. Like, what do you mean we're here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we just jump to the grave, which you know, sure, whatever. I'm I'm not gonna criticize the logic of an Indiana Jones movie. No, it's just it, a fun. It's just a weird transition where it's like, oh didn't have to look for it or anything yeah. <laughs> we're just there um and then uh we get a cameo that uh nick i hope you can get as hyped for this as i was uh, i don't know if Ki- i don't know if kyle would be um so we had andrew devoff the Wishmaster, <laughs> earlier in the film uh and in this uh grave sequence we have a, a little bit of a scuffle between indiana jones and mutt and one ernie reyes jr as the uh He's like the monkey man in the gravesite. I, I remember the guy. I just don't know who that guy is. I'm sorry. Prepare, prepare okay. for well, this I will. In, I, I will enlighten you, and hopefully you can follow along. Because, again, I, I am a little older than both you and your brother. Really? So I understand. I, I what are you, like 47 uh, or something? Yes, I'm 47 <laughs> years old. <laughs> um, so I, I will totally understand if neither of you brothers would give a shit about this particular casting. Ernie Reyes Jr. was Kino in uh, Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze. See, we, the Pizza Man. We only watched the first The one. Pizza Man with the mullet. We, we <laughs> only watched the first one. I think... It's a it's a good one. Yeah. Um, uh, how about Surf Ninjas? <sighs> no. How about The Rundown with Dwayne the Rock Johnson? Yes! I think he was going by Dwayne. He's one of the guys swinging on the vines. Is He's the main guy. The main guy? guy? I know that guy. I know him. Okay, you know that guy, that that little Filipino yep. martial artist yep, man. Yep, I remember. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is Ernie Reyes Jr. Okay, um, I, I'm 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 a big fan. I, I Kino Kino was a cool guy. I like Kino. I like his haircut. It makes me, it reminds me of a certain time in my life where it's like, yeah, 
that's what people looked like back in the early 90s. <laughs> when what? Um, but, but yeah, he does some cool martial arts moves that I'm pretty sure uh, squirrel people that live in grave sites wouldn't, wouldn't know or, or have the nutritional benefit of being able to perform. Like, I don't think you'd, you'd have the athleticism what are you talking of about? living in a grave. Every grave site I, I go to has the squirrel bit. I don't know what you're talking about. This is a, this is a normal thing. Yeah, don't you know the, 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 the parkour people that live in graves? <laughs> There's a cemetery culture of parkour. They go hand in hand. I barely get out every time. I don't know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, it's all those goth kids that are just doing kick kick flips off of headstones and stuff. Um, but yeah, he uh, he beats the fuck out of both of our heroes, and he is dispatched via a dart in the mouth because uh, he has a blowgun. Yeah. And then uh, Indy sneaks up on him and like gets up in his face and blows it backwards into his mouth, and I guess it's poisonous, so he he keels over. Um, so you just murdered a guy in front of a young man. Cool. <laughs> Also, uh, a weird thing that happens here is uh, Indy draws his gun because there is one other person attacking them. Yeah. And then the guy just flees. Oh, and this that marks the only instance of Indiana Jones brandishing. He does not discharge his gun in this whole movie. Nope. Not once. Not once. Not once. It's the only movie in the franchise he doesn't do that. Even Temple of Doom gives you those opening few minutes where he's shooting people in the fucking face. And then Willie drops it, and then he's denied that for the rest of the movie. But we get a few minutes of him sh- shooting people casually because, you know, American abroad, that's what you do. <laughs> but, um, yeah, this is the only time he holds his gun, like, at, in anger at anybody. <laughs> and, yeah, he doesn't even pull the trigger. He pulled the gun out, and I was like, when when did he get that? How long has he had that? I didn't even know he had that. And that's the last we see of it. That's it. Yeah, that's the last we see of it. And uh, speaking of red letter media references, uh, this is where we get the uh, the line, one of the worst deliveries, <laughs> maybe in the entire franchise. <laughs> Give me a second. Part time. You're a teacher. Part time. <laughs> it's so bad. It's so fucking bad. <laughs> And as Red Lighter Media had pointed out, the trailer made use of a better take of the same line. They just decided to put the worst one in the finished film. That, this movie. Part time. Someone. Part time. Part time. <laughs> Part time. Part time. Part time. <laughs> Part time. <laughs> so many. Yeah. So many questions. Yeah, it, it's terrible delivery. No matter how you slice it, but uh, we head into the tomb. Uh, Indy pulls a thing. Uh, we get our critters for the movie. Uh, not all the critters. We do get more critters later, but we get a tease of critters in the form of some scorpions on mutt. Oh, yeah. Uh, and we we get a reference paid to the fact that the larger the scorpion, the less venomous they are. Uh, and uh, we find some mummies with long skulls. So they have elongated skulls. And uh, we have something that I think was literally lifted from one of the National Treasure movies, which, remember, in in 2008, the general pop culture, you know, vibe, more people were probably intimately familiar with with the National Treasure movies than Indiana Jones, at least the young people anyway. And yes, I'm almost positive this tilting platform was in, I think, National Treasure 2. It's funny you say that because my wife, she was like, I'm remembering like a like a, a, a level thing where they're like on a platform and it goes back and forth. I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's the scene you're talking about. She's like, no, it was another movie. I didn't realize it was in National Treasure 2, but no. I mean, 
I, I could be wrong, but that's what I'm remembering. I, I think she's. I think you and her are both right. It's in a different movie. Absolutely. Only difference is that in National Treasure, it was an action sequence. Yes, that's what I said. I said this is a minor. This is just like <laughs> they go on it and they go down. And that's it. Yeah, it's just seesaw. Yeah, it, it's a, it's a, it's an antiquated seesaw. Yeah. that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so this is not the uh, the awesome trap chamber from Temple of Doom. No, like one of the best sequences in that whole movie. Yeah, this is no. a minor inconvenience at best. Oh, the bugs. Oh gosh, but. There's this part here where Indy pulls, like, there's two ropes, two small ropes next to each other. And he's putting his hand out, and he's like, he pulls one, nothing. And then the next. Is that is that in Temple of Doom? I feel like I remember some Very, very similar. Mechanism. Okay, okay. Very similar. That's, that's... Only difference was Willie had to do it yes. instead of Indy. Yes, I'm like, I feel like this that looks so familiar to me. No, you're 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 spot on. I mean, this movie does make quite a bit of reference to the other films in the series. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to say the only reason we have natives at the end of this movie oh, is God. to reference raiders. Oh God, because they do they do fuck all. Like, I think that's literally all they're there for is a visual reference to raiders. I'm like uh, the natives. I had like I wrote down four questions. I'm like I shouldn't care this much about these people, but. <laughs> <laughs> I care more about these people than I do Oxley <laughs> and Mac combined. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we find some mummies in a, in a, in a back tomb and there's like footprints through there. So somebody's been here before. Right. And, uh, we find a fresh mummy though. And we, we cut open it's, uh, it's bandaging and it's kind of a neat effect where it's like, you expect there to be like a rotten corpse in there, but it's, it's fresh. Yeah. Juicy. And, and I'm pretty, um, yeah, still juicy. <laughs> um, and it, it it's uh, like a conquistador, basically. And it's entombed in here. And uh, it immediately rots when exposed to air. It's a, it's a neat effect, especially because I'm almost positive they built an actual like physical prop and then used CGI oh, to it, melt it, essentially. It does look legit, yeah. And I think we have an improvised line here where uh, Harrison Ford says like casually, like teasingly, like, you don't happen to have a knife, do you? And Mutt has been whipping out a switchblade every fucking chance he gets. Um, but at one point, uh, the conquistador has a has, is holding a golden knife, yeah, yeah. and Indy like grabs it and he brandishes it for a second, and he just looks at Shia Buff and he's just like, "I don't want to keep borrowing yours all the time." <laughs> and they they just puts it back though, so I, I think he just improvised that, it. And they left it. That's in. so funny you say that because I don't I I don't know crap about movies. I'm just a guy. But that did in my mind in my I'm like. This feels like he just made that up. I don't know what it was, but yeah, you're right. It, it feels improvised to me. The timing feels like it because it feels like we're just holding on that, yeah, and then yeah. he doesn't keep the knife either. No, he, he puts, puts it right, right back, back where yeah. it was. You know, it's so like, what's the point? I, keep, <laughs> I just don't want to keep borrowing yours. It's funny. Yeah. I, I liked it. Yeah. But Harrison Ford, like, as my girlfriend said, upon viewing all of these movies, except she hasn't seen this one yet. I don't know what she feels about this one, but the other three, she kept saying, like, Harrison Ford is a gem. And I was like, he is. He, like I said before, he showed up for this. Like, he's still him. It's just everything else around it is kind of crap. So she hasn't seen this yet? No. You have to let her watch this, and you got to let me know. Uh, oh, I, I, she, she's going to watch it. Make like, her. If I, if I have to watch make it. Make her watch this. <laughs> no, I, I've, I've warned her multiple times of what to expect, but I was hoping to, to get it, to get it under, under her belt by the time we did this recording, but it didn't work out. But she is going to see it, whether she wants to or exactly. not. Exactly. Um, 
But uh, they find the crystal skull. Oh god! Uh, it, it's uh, it's in the it's not in the bandaging. It's underneath the mummy. It's not hidden, by the way. It's just underneath the mummy. Hold this. Yeah, that, it's, yeah. It's, it's just there. <laughs> it's just like, like how did he know? It's just like, oh, it's here. Here we go. Here, I know it's he, here. He, I, I think the there's like a magnetic effect when they're shuffling things around in there. So they see like some gold pieces get like slide across the floor behind the mummy. Yes. But literally he just like picks it up and it's just there. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, here it is. Yeah, it, it, it's it's kind of pathetic. Like it feels like it feels like an anticlimax of sorts. But we do have a, a fun gag where he picks up the mummy and he hands it to Shia and he's just like, "Hold this." When you first saw this, did you expect him to find this thing here? No, no. Uh, I I was expecting there to be more of a treasure. Hunt. Yes, exactly. It's um, just like I was, expe- I was expecting it to be more like the other films where there's there's a struggle to f- yeah. just. To- find the thing you know it's just we're here we got it we're, we got it here here it is not only that nick not only that oh gosh i'm scared someone else's footprints have been here so not not only did did we just stumble across it somebody beat them to it <laughs> twice and then not not only not only that it's even dumber than that nick and i didn't notice this until i was taking notes while i was watching the movie they make explicit reference in dialogue to the fact that oxley came here so he found yep. the place he got the skull he took it to akator and he brought he it back. back he came back he's like not only did i figure it out before you i came back because you're dumb you're dumb as shit indiana jones you can't do shit it's like <laughs> what is this what who are these people that everybody's like there's so many things that you don't so see the, the treasure el- the treasure hunt element of the script is such a non-element yeah. that it's it's laughable it like, is like not not only was there no struggle to find the thing, someone else already did it and had enough time to bring it back. <laughs> so I know we haven't talked about like specific things, but I feel like as we're going through, each thing is like a check mark to what we the question that we posed at the beginning. Like, why is this so disappointing? Is because each one of these things is like it almost takes away from what you would find in a normal Indiana Jones movie. Like, the journey to finding these things. Nope. Found. Before, you didn't know this. People. References. No. It's already... There's just so many different, like, boom, 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 boom throughout this movie. Well, and and, the, and the, the gimme stuff. The stuff that should be easy for a movie like this. Like, like, this, like a, a fun action-adventure like, yes. movie. Like... Well, yeah, Indiana Jones movies are not highbrow entertainment. No. That's not why we love them. No. But the things that should be easy, somehow this movie still fucks <laughs> up. Like, like for instance, like stunt work. Like, like we've said a few yeah. times at this point, somehow they they came at it from the wrong angle and presented stuff that's impressive on a technical level, but not engaging right. on an emotional level, such that it's just like I can't be bothered to care. Right. It's like, and and a big part of that has to do with Indiana Jones being older and yet more indestructible the, than ever. The character himself, yes. Yeah, I mean, you, you have all these jokes that actually exacerbate the problems. Where it's like, what are you like eighty? It's like, yeah. maybe incorporate that into the action design, where like Indy's lost a step, and therefore it makes certain things harder, and it, it makes it more tense because of that. Because it's like, oh, I thought that was closer. More of those moments. Yes. 
because both of you and I applauded that, like more of that kind of stuff yeah, would have been fun. I'm fine like with he, that, yeah. Like he, like maybe he hits a guy and the, the guy no sells <laughs> it. Like, yeah. I mean, for fuck's sake, like I, I talk about this all the time, but my my dad literally had that happen. <laughs> really? <laughs> like he, like he slugged a guy in the face and the guy didn't react the way he wanted him to, and he was like. Maybe I should do that less. <laughs> like, maybe I'm at an age where I need to do less of this. <laughs> that's when, and that's exactly the part where Eddie would pull out his gun. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I think that would be hilarious. Yes, where his open, like, his oh. opening, his opening gambit is to punch the guy, and then the guy just no like cell. shrugs yeah. it off, and he's like, "Well, bam!" Boom. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, well, that, I mean, I, I, I got through it. You know, it, <laughs> yeah. it wasn't my first. It wasn't what I intended, but it got done. Well, that's the character. That's exactly what I the mean, character it, would do. I mean, it's it's definitely too dark for Indiana Jones, uh, but it would be kind of funny if he like did that, and then like Mutt's like, "You just murdered a guy," and he's like, "Comes with the territory." Well, that's kid. what Sean Connery did. What, yeah, it's exactly, you just, yeah, he blew up a truck full of people. Yeah. <laughs> you just what did you just do? You killed them. Yeah. It's war. <laughs> All right, but yeah, they they get out of the tomb with the crystal skull in tow. Yes, uh, and they are very promptly abducted by uh, Igor and Mac uh, Con- and a bunch of other conveniently. Russians. Yes, conveniently. So yeah, uh, we get taken. Uh, uh, we have another travel sequence here. Uh, we travel along the Amazon, and then we end up in a uh, the Russian military camp in the middle of the jungle, and we see a bunch of people doing the. The Russian dance, the the kick dance that that uh, Zangief does at the end of Street Fighter yeah, yeah, Two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same dance that Zangief does with uh, Gorbachev. If you beat it, if you beat Street Fighter Two with Zangief, um, they're having a grand old time. Oh, they're loving they? it. Oh yeah, they're having a grand old time out here in the stinky jungle. But uh, we can see a drunk Mac, which is a, a slight upgrade to normal Mac. But, um, As could be said, the same for me. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but. It's alluded to here by Indy, who is strapped to a chair, mind you, in a tent, uh, that Mac apparently, like, gave up some agents who were in the field, like, when they were in the military together, like, when they're in the OSS, or I think he was in MI6, because he's British, but, um... I don't remember So, that. I guess that's supposed to point out that Mac is a, is a shitheel, he's a terrible person, uh, I, which lends itself to the fact that it's like, Indy, why why did you even tolerate this guy as as like a friend rather than a foe? Like like clearly he's a traitorous bastard. Like why would you trust him at all? But you know whatever. Also they keep mentioning Berlin throughout the entire movie. Something happened in Berlin, which, uh, again it's just noise. It's all just it noise. is because <laughs> I'm saying I don't even remember all these things because there's so much in the background where it, it just doesn't amount to anything. Well, this is what happens when I'm taking notes and the movie has so much chit-chat, yeah. so much just just like Ta- extraneous noise that goes nowhere that I end up writing it down because I don't know what I'm supposed to give a shit about right. and it turns out none of it. <laughs> like that's the that's the long and the short of it, but uh, Irina shows up, so Kate Kate Blanchett is back in the movie and uh, she quotes Oppenheimer that uh, now I've uh, become death or Destroyer of Worlds. I am Death, yeah. Become uh, Death, Destroyer of Worlds, yeah. Yeah. Um, which is from the Bhagavita. Uh, I, I mispronounced that, but anyway. He says the it's, Hindu it's, Bible or whatever. Is that what he said? Yeah. Yeah, actually, I, I'm, ashamed, I'm ashamed to say, I think I actually had to read that in college. Really? So it's bad that I can't pronounce it off the top of my head. But um, she also references that there were two 
other UFO crashes in Russia. So, so we're we're just it's four confirmed aliens. We're we're crawling with aliens. Um, and meanwhile, as she's saying all this, she is like futzing with it's the corpse good. they found in air. It's just there. It's there. Like, it's just she had an it. alien corpse. Yeah, she so they bring this rotting alien corpse into the sweaty ass jungle. <laughs> just t- and she's for this scene right here, just so he could see them playing with it. That's it, though. Yeah, she she's not doing it. She's just playing yeah. with it. She's just peeling back its scalp to look at its crystal skull. Just do an operation, you know. It's bizarre. It's like you couldn't have done this before you headed into the jungle. Why do you got to bring it? <laughs> Who who lugs a dead animal cross country? What the fuck? Um, but yeah, she she peels back at scalp, and we see that it also has a crystal skull. But she explicitly states, I think she refers to it as a distant cousin. Yes, perhaps, yeah, I remember that line. Yep. To to the crystal skull that they stole from Indian mud. Aliens be falling um, everywhere out of the sky. And she reveals the master plan of the Russian government of the Soviet Union uh, that they're trying to find a psychic weapon. Uh, so basically, they want to use the crystal skull to create or discover, maybe, I don't know, <laughs> uh, some sort of psychic weapon. And uh, basically, the idea is to uh, win the Cold War by psychically like projecting into people's minds and influencing them so basically winning the war without having to fire a bullet uh, which is on paper scary for sure um but none of the the house none of the house like none of the logistics adds up like like the ark of the covenant there was a lot of dialogue stating very explicitly why this is dangerous like why we need to be concerned about this same with the holy grail it's like why is this a problem well because if you drink from it, you got immortal Nazis, and that's the problem. We don't want that. We don't want immortal Hitler. And same with the Ark. It's like, well, you know, this picture in this book I have here shows it shooting lightning at people. <laughs> and uh, Marcus said it makes any army that bears it invincible. Those are all bad things. Whereas the Crystal Skull, what does it do? Aliens. <laughs> Aliens, man. <laughs> like, like it comes back to that meme, that that, that picture that you keep. Aliens. <laughs> guy, guy, guy with the goofy hair just saying aliens. Because in terms of what threat the Crystal Skull poses or what it could potentially do, I don't know. that It's it's used at one point. It's used in this scene to attempt to like brainwash Indiana Jones, basically. I feel like George Lucas saw this Nat Geo special and was like, this is it. This is the truth. I have to make a movie about this. What can it be? What haven't I done in a while? Oh, Indiana Jones. Let's bring that back. Let's do it. And that's it. That's how it came about. That's it. Right. It, it's just like, this is the problem with having the crystal skull. Yes. Uh, be your MacGuffin. Yep. Nobody knows what a crystal skull is or what it does. Keep it simple. Like, again, the Ark of the Covenant. I can open a book and point to a picture that says, this is what it does. Wait, this yeah. is why you got to be worried. Wait. Crystal Skull, what does it do? Well, if you got some time, I can pull up Wikipedia <laughs> and we can <laughs> suss it out together. But, you know, the movie never really spells it out to us. So the whole time we're just like, why Why do I give a shit? And it's never been answered. But um, we, we are finally introduced to Ox, to Oxley, uh, who is portrayed by John Hurt, who's a legendary British actor, uh, Kyle's a big fan of his. Um, he basically joined the production because Spielberg asked, 
he referred to Spielberg as God in conversation a few times. Oh. He's like, if God at if God asks, you uh, you answer the call. Oh my! <laughs> because Spielberg carries quite a bit of clout in Hollywood, and I don't know that they had worked together at this point. So uh, he was approached. And he said yes, and he does fuck all in this no, movie. No, yeah, I put he is a bumbling idiot. Yeah, that's it. That's... Like I said, you have Kate Blanchett and John Hurt in this movie, and you make very little use of either Blanchett fares a little better John Hurt is playing just a, a crazy person yeah. the whole time that that babbles senseless nonsense, nonsense. you um, could have had yeah he's entered he could have had anybody do that you could have had anybody do that um but I mean it's just an excuse to work with a good actor yeah. so John Hurt is wearing a poncho and twirling <laughs> a cane and uh Speaking speaking nonsense. I did like Harrison Ford's initial interactions. You were never this interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, he's like spells out to him who he is. He's trying to get him to yeah. return to himself. And yeah, the closing comment is it's like you you worked here, we met here, and you were never this interesting. <laughs> I, I like that too. Yeah, it was great. I, I thought that was hilarious. But um, Ox lost his mind apparently by staring into the crystal skull too long. Again, it's very cryptic as to what the skull does or yeah. how it works, but um, I guess you have to be worried about it. It does have its own melody similar to the arc. Like all the MacGuffins in these movies have musical accompaniment. Yeah. Music this piece. one's obnoxious. This one would have pissed Kyle off uh, because <laughs> no, because uh, the B movie theme. Like one thing that Kyle's a big fan of is theremins. He loves theremins. Like any excuse to add an, a theremin to the instrumentation of a soundtrack. Oh, he he loves it, and UFO movies—that's what you do, man. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's yeah. like putting your whole mouth in the dip. <laughs> like, no, it, it's it's what you do. That's that's the noise that accompanies okay. like spooky sci-fi stuff from the fifties. But John Williams chose not to do that, and so he makes he puts sounds on the score that sound like that, but are not that. And it's just like, oh man, <laughs> like, but. It, it, it's a little obnoxious because it, it's just it doesn't have that same sense of grandeur that some of the antiquities in the previous movies like like the grails theme was very heroic and like yes like glorious. we gotta get this this is the yeah, and, yeah yes and the arcs theme was very spooky it was very mysterious, mysterious. like we like, don't know what because the whole movie's based around opening the yeah. thing the whole climax of the movie is what's inside yep. what happens when you open it so it, it has that kind of sense of mystery to it this one's just like Aliens? <laughs> <laughs> aliens. Aliens, yeah. <laughs> the meme the guy. Day, it, all, it all comes back to just <laughs> aliens. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, we get this uh, sequence here where uh, Indy is... Indy, his one eye goes astray. That was kind of spooky. <laughs> uh, he's forced to stare into the yeah, skull. Yeah, this is the mind meld part, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's a little spooky, I guess. Um, I don't entirely know what the objective yeah, is like, here. Yeah, like, what's the point? What? It, it communicates with him, but we don't learn that until later on in the film where he tells us that that's what happened, but it looks like it's causing him a lot of pain. <laughs> yeah. um, I did like that the first thing he does when he comes out of his stupor is he, he breaks Mac's nose, because he did tell him he was going to do that. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I forgot about that, yeah. It was pretty great. You know, any, ex- any excuse to hit Mac, <laughs> but... Um, so Mutt, uh, is upset because his, his bike was left at the cemetery. So again, that's a, a weird detail to fixate on, but I'm kind of glad they did. Cause he did, they did take special care. To they show showed that it. He yeah. flew, they, he flew his bike out to South America. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, 
we are introduced to Marion. Marion. Yep. Uh, That's my next note. Who is just who is portrayed by Karen Allen, uh, Marion Ravenwood, same character from Raiders of the Lost Ark. What is your note regarding Marion? It reads, Marion. <laughs> 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 just Marion. Um, you know, I actually have this as a positive, and I know you may okay. you may disagree. And I no. I think the reason I include it as a positive is because I love the rest of the movie is just kind of like, but the interaction between him, Indy, Marion, and Mutt, I like those things. And I think that's why I like her inclusion is because it's something we've had so many things thrown at us. We finally get something familiar and it's like, Oh, I know her. I like her maybe. And, and I like the interplay between the three of them. I like the two of them. (laughs) Um, Mutt, Mutt actually, I don't think is an awful character in concept anyway, because the idea like the, the conception of the character funny enough initially was pitched as a as a girl oh really um that would have been it's interesting a steven, it's a steven spielberg production we don't do daughters <laughs> we, we sons do father, and father son. yeah yeah father son yeah, yeah. we do fathers and sons we don't do fathers and daughters <laughs> so george george proposed the daughter steven vetoed that so no i, I don't do that <laughs> wow, that's actually interesting i would have liked it i, I would have liked to have seen that actually I wouldn't have minded it. It would have been very different. But the idea was that Mutt was conceived as a character that is supposed to represent young Indiana Jones. He's supposed to represent like a cyclical dynamic between father and son, where he's meant to represent uh, Indy through the eyes of his own father. Yeah. So, um, so on paper, it makes sense. But what we actually get, like what actually comes of it in the finished film. No, no. I see what you were trying to do. I know what you're trying to do. It didn't but, work. But, but, but you didn't quite get nope. it. Nope. Um, but on paper, I, I get it. I would have maybe tried the same move. It is, it is, it is a way to keep the actors interested because one thing about Harrison Ford is, like, like you said, he showed up. Yeah. Um, but one thing that has kept him coming back to these movies and this role is that every time he's gotten to do something different, like, you know, injecting the father in the third one was was a selling point for him as a performer really and having him now have a kid is again a selling point because it, it allows him to spread his wings a little so bit. you're saying he actually like him having a son aka mutt that was why he came back he's like oh that sounds interesting that sounds different i'll do that i don't know that that was it chiefly a selling yeah. point but but as an actor it seems like he he doesn't want to just do the same thing himself. over over yeah yeah yeah, because I mean, Kyle and I talked at length about his relationship to the Han Solo. He wanted to die. Yeah, he he wanted. He's, out. <laughs> like, I remember the interview. He said he felt like the character served its purpose, and he felt like exactly. it should die. Yeah. So if you're going to have him put on the cap and be the be the guy again, at least let him do something different or have some different element to his characterization. And he does that every time he every yeah. time he plays indie it's a little bit different yeah, because agree. he gets to do different things like this is an older indie who's a little bit more interested in studying than punching honestly <laughs> yeah for real <laughs> <laughs> um, but but yeah uh, we get introduced to marion and uh bam bam like just a one-two yeah. punch we get 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 your hands off of me and 
Indiana Jones, like back to back. It's just like, wow, you you got all of your lines out in one go, uh-huh. <laughs> hands on hips and everything. Yep. <laughs> but oh, I, but I, I I love his face when he sees her come out of the tent. He he just like giggles, like he's just like. <laughs> I, I don't know what to say. I didn't expect to find you in the jungle, a woman that I uh, impregnated and left. <laughs> I mean, from an acting standpoint, it's pretty good because he doesn't really say anything. He just makes a goofy face. Yeah. It's just, oh. Kind of like that, that after I have the line he said it back at the diner, he's like, there are a lot of Mary's kid to mutt. <laughs> Yes, yeah. yes. He he says his mom's name is Mary Williams. Yes, which is which is, a, I assume his way of fishing to see if like you better not be my son. Yeah. <laughs> but he doesn't recognize the name because she did get hitched after the fact. But, um, I I really like Karen Allen in this movie, except for I don't like her interactions with Mutt. I don't like any of the interactions with Mutt. But I love seeing her and Indy together. They they have legitimate yeah, chemistry maybe. some of their dialogue is really really fun in that like kind of like domestic squabble sort of the way truck but scene, in the yeah. middle of a jump yeah. yeah like like them just like bickering yes it just feel it feels really genuine <laughs> <laughs> and it's pretty great because whenever he gets frustrated his way of slamming the door or stepping out of the room is to go kill somebody or something <laughs> it's like hang on i gotta get this rocket launcher <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty great but like i like that she's here i just feel like this is the wrong setting and the wrong story to have her here. i think they did it just to do it for like i said it's something familiar it's like yeah people like you me we've seen the old ones we'll come back and it's like oh we know her we know her that, that's the only yeah, reason it, it, she's she's there exactly for what i said yeah. for the trailer moment of indiana jones yep. like hands yep. on hip just like we remember her from 1981 yep. but it, it just this just feels like the wrong adventure to bring her back for um and to just have her be kidnapped before the story even begins and just have her appear in the jungle feels really i don't know disrespectful yeah a little to the bit. character yeah, it, it it's a ter- it's a very poor introduction to the character, but uh, like we both said, she actually isn't bad in the movie. No. But um, Ox draws draws out some ideograms uh, referencing like where the kingdom that houses the crystal skull is. Um, Shia cries some more, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Indy translates the ideograms, and there's reference to something: the, the water sleeps until the great snake, which is of course the Amazon River. And uh, Indy and Arena kind of like do like uh, Allison Duty and uh, he did in The Last Crusade where they kind of compare notes and they're actually like invested in the in the Excited. treasure hunt element yeah. of giddy things. Giddy like a schoolboy, is that what you're talking about? Yes. Yeah, they're both giddy like school children. And then the movie decides that's boring and has Mutt flip a table and punch some people. Yeah. I was like, oh, I was, I was just getting no, into that. To the point where you can visibly see Indy, Harrison Ford is like, oh, we're doing this now? Okay. I was actually kind of like curious to see where this would go. Okay, fine. We'll escape, I guess. <laughs> Again, on paper, it 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 makes sense. Like, I, I do think this is funny on paper. It just doesn't translate well in the finished product. Because no. on paper, I think this is hilarious because this is literally him doing exactly yeah. something that in, like, he would, Indy do. would do. Yes. Just like coming up with a plan and then it doesn't work out, though. Which is funny on paper, but then it just doesn't translate well. So yeah, he flips the table, he, he throws some bunches, and then starts a fire, and they go running off into the jungle. They don't know where they are, they are lost, 
not a good plan, but I did love it's it's subtle, like you you could easily miss it, but Indiana Jones yells out, This is intolerable. Oh, I don't remember that. Which which of course was his own father's thing he would say whenever people start getting shot. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he said it multiple times in the last crusade. The tank scene? And did he go This is intolerable? And and the motorcycle scene. Oh, okay. Like any time bad shit was happening, this is intolerable. <laughs> and Indy does the same thing. He's verbatim. It, it's cute. That is good. It's like, yeah, he's old now. Yep. <laughs> he's his dad. Then we get we get quicksand. Oh. Or dry sand. I have the rather. snake scene, that's what I called it, yeah. Yeah, basically we step into a dry sand pit and Indy gets an old man moment where he's he's correcting Mutt's word usage where he refers to it as quicksand and he yeah. has this long diatribe by correcting him on on the semantics of everything. And uh yeah, uh, this is they use this opportunity of both he and Marion stuck in this dry sand pit. Um so now they can't run away from each other or get in action hijinks. They're literally stuck in a, like a jungle together. And this is where she makes it known that Mutt's your boy. Yep. And I did like the follow-up to that gag. <laughs> Why the hell didn't you make him finish school? <laughs> it's like, now that he's his son, he's, he cares. But And I think that, that um, that's what I like. I like the like him and her kind of like going back and forth. I think that's what I liked. I mean, any excuse for Harrison Ford to yell at That's people, true. He's, real, he's more animated. Really. He's he's more lively. He, he's, yeah. Yes. And, and when Mutt gets the snake, of course, this is a reference to Indiana Jones in every movie having problems with snakes. Uh, uh, his his physical yes, acting is, is really hilarious. And he keeps saying, grab the snake. And he says, stop calling it that. <laughs> <laughs> so they have, to, they have to refer to it as a rope in order for him to treat it as a rope. And uh, they haul him out, and uh, the Russians find them. Uh, and they are recaptured. And then we get the big action scene for the movie. Uh, the jungle chase Nick what are your feelings on the jungle chase I'll sum it up with one word you ready oh uh, my body is ready uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, rem- I watched this just a few days ago and I was watching Shia LaBeouf take multiple hits to the nuts and I was like oh, what am I watching right now what is this <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that is one of the most egregious elements of the whole thing. There, but the there are po- the prelude the prelude to the jungle chase is they're being transported in the back of a truck, and uh, the family unit now is bickering yes. amongst each other, which is kind of. Fun. I I do like that part. I like that we're in the truck, but. Well, yeah, anytime Harrison Ford is raising his voice, <laughs> I'm engaged, <laughs> and he's basically he got cold feet uh, a week before he was supposed to marry Marion. Um, and he ditched her, and she shacked up with some guy that he knew, apparently. And uh, Mutt's just like, what the fuck? Like, this is all news to me. And <laughs> I, don't, I don't have context. I just wrote this down. But it's just, because I thought we were going to die. Yeah, oh, that, that's, that's Marion, yeah. Yeah, because I thought we're we gonna were going to die. And then Indy just yells, not yet. <laughs> but there's a weird gag here where... They kick out the the soldier and then Mutt passes the knife. Indy his knife. Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about, right? Where he passes the knife and it it yes. makes that yes. yes, and he goes, "Oh no." Right? It's exactly what you're talking about, right? Yes. He's I think he says like, "Oh shit." Oh shit. Or something. Yeah, he's, and then it's like, "Nope." 
it, he doesn't say anything. He just makes a face. That's it. And then he gets up. That's it. And it's, it's all good. I'm like, what? I, what? What? Why? Why? I, I watched it back a couple of times. I don't know what that was supposed to be. Like, no. I thought, like, did he, like, did he cut his pants or something? I was confused. <laughs> like, I, like, is Indy going to have a hole in his pants the rest of the week? I thought so, too. I'm like, I'm I'm confused. What, what's going on? And then he just gets up, and I'm like, I'm I'm more confused. What's going on? No, I, I mean, part of me thought, like, it's the wrong sound effect, because it is distinctly a tearing sound. Mm-hmm. Like, if it was a different sound, maybe maybe he dropped the knife. But no. It, everything's fine. Yeah. It, it's just this weird beat that it's there. I don't know what it, it represents. But now Indy does have a, a, a classic old Hollywood line of uh, Marion's like accusing him of sleeping around after he ditched her. And uh, he has this line, they weren't you, honey. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. Bro, you smooth. never thought about her after that. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Indy uh, hijacks the truck. And uh, this is where Marion is assigned to her role as driver for the remainder of the film. She's the lady that drives. Uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. She just, like, she is, after this point, she pretty much is the driver to a fault. I mean, There's it's, a it's, it's, a, it's a sloppy example. This is what happens when you have too many elements at play in an action scene is you need to make sure all the plates are still spinning. So it's like, what's Marion doing? So right you have now? to have it's everybody like, well, doing what, something. Yeah, we everybody has to be doing something, and so they ran out of ideas as to what she could be doing. So they just had her. Drive. She's the driver. Go. Yeah, she she's the driver. Um, but uh, yeah, he pulls out an <laughs> RPG. Whoa! <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he blows up a vehicle. And by the way, this whole sequence again, the 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 making of details on this were fascinating because. This was filmed in Hawaii. Most of this driving sequence was was filmed in Hilo, Hawaii, on location. Quite a bit of this, all of this vehicle chase stuff was shot on a location. It's not a green screen. There, there are quite a few green screen shots, mostly for the sword fight. But it's shocking how much of this was actually filmed in well, a real jungle. Why does it look like garbage? Why does that's that's the question? Why does everything look like crap to the point where it's it's just so back to what we were talking about earlier the haze it felt so hazy during these scenes I, I was taken back like I was just like I don't I can't be invested because it's so ugly I don't know what the word yeah it it's the haze it, everything's really washed out uh, the skin textures are really ugly like everybody has this sickly power to them yeah. and what's more the I think the CGI is like special effects team got a little carried away because uh, a big selling point before the movie was released was that we're going to do a lot of this practical and to their credit they tried uh unfortunately the technology and the logistics of the day made it so it was so much more cost effective to just computer generate a lot of the stuff so there are a lot of physical elements shot in this film but it, it has this like cgi cgi layer pasted onto a lot of it such that there's way more special effects shots in this movie than anybody expected initially. So it's kind of like the Thing remake part two. Very similar. Yeah. Very similar. Yeah. Where they did shoot with live physical props and then they just covered it with like CGI putty basically. Yep. Yeah. It, very good example. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, but yeah, the, this this is the big action scene for the movie essentially and for as much like visual splendor as at work here for by 2008 standards and as much storyboarding as went into this 
it just it, you just can't be bothered to care. No, you can't. It just falls. And there, there, there is some cool stunt work, like, but it's all framed and edited incorrectly. Where there's this awesome beat where Indy's stunt double jumps from the truck into a neighboring vehicle where there's like six dudes, and he just like dog piles onto this moving car. And it's this awesome stunt, but again, like you never get a shot of his face, like you never get a good reaction. Uh, yeah. And again, remember the character's supposed to be aged yeah. at this point. It's gonna be a like, more of a struggle. So he should Yeah, jumping into a pile of six <laughs> burly Russian dudes. I don't know if that's a good idea, man. And we do get a comedic beat that I did appreciate of him saying hi to Mac while hitting him. That's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Because like Mac's excited to see him and he's like, Hi, Mac. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's appropriate, but you know, young Indy probably would have just shot him <laughs> a long time ago, like like an hour ago. <laughs> yep, gone. But yeah, the the sword fight is where things really get bad. Is we we planted those seeds in dialogue earlier that Mutt knows how to use a sword. We've seen him brandish a knife multiple times. He gets hold of a sword that apparently Irina had in a box in one of the jeeps, and he has a sword fight. Uh, That's a good while on a moving vehicle with Irina. Apparently, this was storyboard initially as taking place on solid ground, not on two moving vehicles. But because of that, all of these shots are doctored with CGI, and it's really, really obvious. Oh, it's so bad, yeah. And talk about misplaced effort. Uh, Shia LaBeouf injured himself multiple times shooting this sequence. Oh, I didn't know that. This sequence, it's like, if you're going to hurt yourself, don't do it for... The nut Not for the Jones in, 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 in Indiana Jones four, and yeah, that that just feels grossly out of place. Where it's like, it, I get it, it's 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 funny, haha, like fat guy fall down humor, but not here. Well, I told my wife this when I was watching this. I'm like, these st- you have these stakes, and then you're just taking them away with these multiple. You're taking them with these multiple nut shots, and it's just like. Okay, well, I guess I don't care, or it's oh, it's okay, I guess. I don't know because he's just getting hit over and over again. And also, you're you're taking the wind out of Indy's sails. Where if if you really focus keenly on Indy, like I did, because his name's on the poster and he's the reason I was excited to see this movie. I don't care about the adventures of Mutt Williams. I paid for fucking Indiana Jones, yeah. like like the guy, even. <laughs> Yeah, I paid for the guy with the hat, and he does fuck all in the scene. Like he has a cool, he has a couple of cool yeah. beats where he's jumping from vehicle to vehicle. He gets to punch some dudes but out. But what is he doing? But quite quite a bit of the screen time is actually just devoted to Mutt sword fighting and getting hit in the nuts. And then we get this weird beat where uh, Marion eats a fucking tree branch in the head. Oh yeah, <laughs> it it smashes the windshield. I was like, that woman is dead. <laughs> Like they treat it like nothing, yeah. like like dazed, like she, like like she's dazed. I'm like, no, you're that woman's neck is broke. Like she is dead. It's so weird. It's like, why would you put that in there? Yeah. And she, Again, though, may, maybe they felt they needed to have something. Something happen to Marion, otherwise she wouldn't be included in the action or something. So all they could think of was to have her get a fucking neck broken, shrug it all off. All these artificial <laughs> stakes that, I guess, as an average moviegoer like me, you're just like, I know these don't add up. This is nothing. Like, I don't care. Well, and and again, I, I hate to compare it to one of the fi- the finest action sequences in all of cinematic history, but the truck chase from Raiders. Yeah. Like I, like, I can play it vividly in my mind. 
Yeah, the stakes were greatly amplified by the fact that it's like you're watching a a man, like a, a human being, struggle and overcome great odds. It, like the structure of that sequence is beautiful. Where it, when he gets shot in the oh, arm, yeah, you feel it. And then the guy starts punching him in the arm, and he's trying to drive the truck while he's kicking the door. Like like he's got problems, and you feel yeah. it. Whereas this one, it's just yeah, it, it, you just, it's just fluff. Yep. And and what's more, they they throw even more disrespect on the movie by having Mutt get carried away by vines. Oh, I'll let you take this. I feel like you've got something on your chest you want to get out about all this. <laughs> and he gets pulled up into the canopy, and Irina's like, "Ha ha! I showed that young man who I just met." <laughs> and he goes up into the canopy, and it's all green screen trees and stuff. And there's a monkey that I think was in those Hangover movies or something. <laughs> Um, he's got it's a little monkey with a funny haircut that they focus on and uh, this uh, jungle like chime melody starts playing John Williams is like oh the monkey needs a melody (laughs) the monkey with a couple seconds of screen time he needs his own like melody to go with the film (laughs) and uh, the monkey gives Mutt a look and Mutt sees a bunch of other little monkeys up in the tree line swinging on CGI vines my brain hurts uh, cut back to the truck chase for a bit, and then cut back to, back to Mutt, swinging across vines, Tarzan style, following the example of the little monkeys, the computer-generated monkeys. And then the uh, the car chase busts out from the jungle and onto a CGI cliffside. Um, and then Mutt re-enters the picture by uh, swinging out from the trees and into Irina's moving vehicle with a bunch of monkeys in tow. They 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 know they, what he's trying to oh accomplish. Yeah, they know. They, they know. Yeah, they, they they know that she's the bad one. Surely the man up in the trees with us is no danger. <laughs> I didn't realize this when I was watching the movie. I I was like, "Oh my gosh, these monkeys are attacking was it Spalco? Kate? Yes, I'm like, they, they're, they are they're attacking, attacking her." And yeah. I'm like, "What am I watching what is this what yeah and by the way the movie is disrespecting itself i feel by uh they i think they thought this was a clever way to inject uh, tension to the scene or some something i guess to me it's just more noise it's more it's more extraneous detail uh they're playing hot potato with the crystal skull Oh yeah! Throughout the yeah, whole scene, right. it's it's changing forth, hands. Multi- forth, yeah. It's being tossed like a fucking football. It's like imagine them doing that with the Ark of the Covenant. I, I, I'm not. I I personally am not religious, but I'm sorry. That's not kosher. No, it's not. No, no. <laughs> that is straight up disrespect. You touch that, you're dead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, actually, that was an element in the script. Yeah. at one point, no. but. But yeah, I don't like the idea of this precious artifact just being hucked <laughs> back and forth in the jungle. <laughs> it just feels wrong to me. But th- that's personal. But um, yeah, uh, these monkeys—they uh, they uh, <laughs> they jump Spalco, and uh, they deny us. They deny us animal trauma by uh, having uh, Spalco grab. The, the glamour monkey, the one with the hairdo. And uh, she, she pinches it off the cliff. But, no, it's, he's fine. He, he yeah, grabs a branch. Absolutely, he's fine. He, yeah. he grabs a branch, so, so it's confirmed. He's fine. The movie isn't that cruel. It wouldn't do harm to a computer. Uh, I just, I just monkey. think about it, though. Kate Blanchett throwing a, a CGI monkey over a cliff. 
and that's like well i i've i've said it before um i want to say like willem dafoe very serious very immensely talented actor i want to say if somebody hands you a script that has the line we'll meet again (laughs) spider-man you take that role regardless of what stupidity they have you perform on camera you take that role and that man kate blanchett kate blanchett got the line johns (laughs) if you get to yell johns on film you you take that role Willem Dafoe knew what movie he was in, and I love that movie. I won't hear otherwise. That movie is great. Oh, he 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 brought it to that movie. Like like he, he makes knew exactly that movie. What movie. He knew what movie he was in, and he sold. It. I absolutely love that movie. That's my favorite Spider-Man movie. If anybody says otherwise, then well, I I, I tend to lean more towards two, but Willem Dafoe absolutely yes, yes he carry he carries large portions of it's that movie. It's on his back, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, uh, the monkey doesn't die. Of course not. And, uh, then we, then we head to the Ant Hill sequence, which was, I guess, I guess like a personal favorite for me just because it involves fisticuffs, which it, I'm always here it's for. It's the best, I think, fight scene between him and the, uh, the muscle. It's the only fight scene. <laughs> it basically, we have a situation where all the vehicles have crashed and, uh, we have a bunch of big old ants, like huge, huge swaths of mass. Like ants all over the place, and uh, we get to see at least one guy get eaten. It's pretty cool. Um, so now we have critters involved. And it's pretty great, and uh, they also get their own musical uh, piece. Uh, they get musical accompaniment. These uh, these ants. Uh, but yeah, uh, Igor from earlier in the film, he jumps. He jumps from a truck. He is so pissed at oh, Indy, he's he has to yeah. jump out. He has to jump from a moving vehicle full of people with guns who choose not to use them right no, now. No, no, yeah. <laughs> he has to jump on Indy and uh, just slug it out with him. And uh, Marion is the driver. She's still driving like an amphibious vehicle at this point. And Ox now has the skull, and he's trapped on the ground with Indy. And we see that the skull repels ants. And uh. Meanwhile, Irina is, like, taking the high ground. She's, like, hanging from a tree. Uh, at one point, she crushes an ant between yeah, her kneecaps. Yeah, remember that? S- somebody jerked it to that. Uh, <laughs> but, I need this uh, Igor, scene, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I- Igor pulls an ear pull on uh, Indy. Uh, yeah, yanks him up from the ground by his ear. And uh, I was really disappointed in this because Indy just straight up just kind of beats this guy. And this seemed like a good opportunity to, like, integrate his age into the choreography because it's a very straightforward just like like just not rock em sock em robots affair it's a hockey fight he, they just trade blows until the one guy loses well he, he's losing up until he grabs the stick he grabs a stick yes. and he's like he cheats. he's like okay i got you now with the <laughs> stick and he beats him i'm like oh i didn't realize that he just uses the cheat code yeah he, he just uses the he's like i guess i can't beat you so I'll use this stick, which I would probably do the same. And, you know, yeah. I, I'm not a big guy, so I would do the same. <laughs> yeah, just my, my objection to it is to, just that part of what made the the plane fight in Raiders so awesome to me was the fact that he gets his he gets his shots oh, in. Yeah. Like, we get that moment where Indy, like, gets his hits in and then gets knocked on his ass, but then he defeats the guy through his cleverness it, by, by taking shelter when the no, propeller blade comes right. It's a pale comparison. It really is. It's just... And same with Semple of Doom, though, where, where he's he's fighting the guy on the conveyor, yeah. but ultimately it's the it's it's a, the, the rock yep. crusher that, that kills him. So, like, it just felt weird to just have him straight up just kind of win. <laughs> like, 
but yeah, this guy Igor gets eaten by CGI ants. It's actually it's pretty grisly by yeah. by you know kids movie standards. Kind of cool. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> also the the added bit of having them carry him up into the ant hill. I forgot about that scene until I rewatched that, that, it. I actually, I'm like, I where is he going? Of... How are they carrying him? There's no way. Just stop, drop, and roll. You can roll out of there. There's no way they would carry you. <laughs> no, I, I thought that was kind of <laughs> like I, I appreciated that. But um, Indy recovers this hat from the ants also, and they use the the, the skull to get through them all. Yeah. Now we head to the waterfall. Three waterfalls. Three whole waterfalls, Nick. Not just one, because three is better, I I'm guess. more hurt by, I wrote this down, the tree car scene. Please inform the audience. Oh, the the scene where I think it's Marianne. She's the driver, because she's, of course, she's, she's the driver. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't know that? Yeah. She, I think, does she just literally drive right on top of the top of the palm tree? Is it is a palm tree? Everybody, everybody's shouting at her to stop, and she says, "I know what I'm I know doing. what I'm doing here." It's like I don't think you do, but she, sure. <laughs> she's just on top of the palm tree, and it just kind of goes down, just weighs down from the way of the vehicle right into the water, and eases them into eases the them into the water, and then the tree bounces back after the the car leaves, and hits a few of the KG whatever the Russians. Knocks yeah, a few it, of them into it, the water. It is literally a Looney Tunes yeah, game. Yeah, it is. And it and it's shot at distance too. And I I want to say there was a Wilhelm scream here too. Oh yeah. But it it is straight up a Looney Tunes game. And I'm just um, it's and, another one. Add another to the freaking list of this and, bull crap in this movie. I mean, they had goofy shit in in the older movies, but this is pushing it. Like, yeah. like just the something to do with the way the tree is animated and the timing of it just feels a little too cheeky yep. i guess because like because like the minecart sequence when the guy when willie punches the guy and he falls backwards into the minecart and then they both go flying off the track that has a similar vibe but just something about the way it was executed just feels better i guess it, like it doesn't it's not as irritating if 16 year old nick was in the theater and saw this and was like nah this is bull crap then there's no way i any Anybody beyond that point was going to be like, oh, that was great. What a great scene. There's no way. No, anybody who laughs at that in the theater, you got to turn around and just give them a look. <laughs> Get out of here. You gotta, yeah, you got to let them know. Like, you got to take a good long look at your life, sir. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, they uh, they dropped down three waterfalls. Mm. Uh, yeah, they survive all three of them. Everybody's fine. They're fine, of course. Uh, we and uh, we head into a temple passage. Uh, Mutt remarks that it has been recently lit with torches. And uh, we see pictographs showing all the aliens teaching the natives uh, technology and stuff. And there are 13 aliens. That's important. That's apparently part of the Crystal Skull lore. Theory. And then uh, do you want to – did you have a note about the the natives in the walls? I did. I did. I, well <laughs> – I did, actually. <laughs> it's funny you mention it because I'm like, this isn't the first time they've – emerged uh, evidently they've emerged whenever i think oxley got there one time he was just here yeah <laughs> like, he was just there so did they go back into the wall did they live in there i put i put who are these natives where are their families where's the women where's the children doesn't matter because they're all killed in the next scene like who are these people that live in this area do they protect it we don't know they're dead yeah, seeing seeing the the behind the scenes on this was depressing. Okay, because they they actually remark on how many hours went into building the the set and the props that these people have to bust through and stuff. 
just for this one shot of, of all these people coming through the walls covertly. And it was a lot of man hours and it involved a lot of artisans, like art artists and artisans, like hard hard work in the production design department. And for who and for what? That and sounds like, exactly it, it adds, like what... It adds nothing. That Lucas meme thing I showed you earlier. I may have gone too far in a few places. That sounds exactly like the Phantom Menace. It sounds exactly what what he did. He just saw, we need to do this, these, this, this, this. He got to the end, he's like... Oh man, maybe I maybe this doesn't make sense here. Maybe I did go too far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the natives have no zero place. Zero. Like they have nothing to do with anything. They contribute nothing. It, it to me, you easily could have cut them entirely. Like you could have had this be an abandoned ancient city. Well, they don't. Would it, it would have been? They fun. don't. They don't do anything. The only thing they they don't they, they just get killed. Yeah, off screen. Off screen. Because it because it's we not that kind of movie. It's not that kind of movie. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, they they uh, they bust out of the walls and uh, and I hate to say it, but this actually reminds me of like uh, the very first episode of Catching Up on Cinema, oh, wow. Dan Aykroyd's Nothing But Trouble. Really? Where the the sets in that movie, the costuming, the makeup design, it's, it's incredible. It is. Went all out. And f- and for what? <laughs> For what I ask you? <laughs> no, that's a good point. <laughs> but but yeah, these natives that come out of the walls and they like trip our heroes, and then they mm-hmm. just hold up the skull and they were yeah, we're fine, we're off. good, we're good. Yeah, and I want to like I said earlier, I think they're literally here just so we can visually reference Indy being chased by natives, like in the beginning of Raiders. So we we end how we began, I guess. It's <laughs> it's like poetry; it rhymes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and we do see that Mac has tracking devices he's been leaving everywhere. And by the way, he's with our heroes. So they are trusting Mac. Not wise. Um, nope. And uh, Ox futzes with an obelisk. And uh, Indy just decides it's a good idea to start pulling out rocks just from smash it. smash it. Yeah, man. Just do it. Yeah. It, yeah, a lot of... It, he just decides that that's a good idea. And I was shocked. This this obelisk, this the, the four-pronged thing... That was a that was a physical prop. Yeah, I I saw some like a little just a little snippet of like storyboard things like they built this. They built that. It's pretty impressive, but again for, for what? what? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, we get a call back to the uh, the hold this gag with the mummy where uh, Indy and Marion start smooching uh, when they descend into the temple uh, via the obelisk oh, yeah. and uh, Mutt Mutt picks up a corpse yeah. from the the scum water and he's like here indy hold this <laughs> it's my mom quit smooching my mom, my mom. <laughs> and uh yeah this is when the natives are killed off screen we just hear gunfire and we see a bunch of dead yep. bodies uh the russians kill them all and uh we see that the temple houses antiquities from all eras and countries and cultures makes no sense uh doesn't add anything uh, the, just, the aliens the aliens they liked these things <laughs> for what they they just pick, they like them is that it i i guess it's it <laughs> I, I think the idea is it's like the aliens of like it's like that idea about like the ancient egyptians where it's like they they had a hand in fostering human culture and technology it's like but yeah but the, the, yeah but we're not here for that yeah I don't know why we're here, well, in fact, well, because Indy doesn't know why we're let's here. Let's just say that they did do that, and I thought about that in watching this. I'm like, okay, let's just say these Malians did help, 
and they did they did help build like you guys need to build these things and you do this and this is how you survive okay you got it and then they just blow it up they kill it all they say forget it we're out of here we're killing everything spoilers sorry now see i i just said that I don't know why we're here because Indy doesn't know why you're here. That's not entirely true because Indy does know why we're here, and it's one word, return. Um, when he stared into the skull, he didn't say it at the time, but after they fell down the waterfalls, he does remark that we have to go to the temple and return the skull because it told me why? to. Why? So I guess that that's the movie's way of justifying our actions on on continuing on with this journey is that indiana jones feels compelled to return the skull because the skull that nearly killed him told him he needs to do that so motivations are a little flimsy it's it's it pales in comparison to something like raiders where it's like the whole movie is based around this obsessive chase and struggle to obtain this this thing this mysterious object of great power and worth um and then Temple of Doom. We starts out as a treasure hunt, yeah. turns into I gotta, I gotta save help. these kids. Yeah. I gotta help. Um, then Last Crusade. I gotta find another rare antiquity. Oh yeah, and you know get to know and love my dad as yep. well. This one, it's like because it told me to. Hmm. <laughs> aliens. That's it. Yeah, man. Aliens. Yeah, and. The, the door that opens the, the throne room for these aliens is incredible. It's a, it's another live prop. They built this, like, Legends of the Hidden Temple door that uh, Indy inserts the skull into. And it's this amazing, like, hydraulic mechanism of some sort. It's really cool, actually, that it's a physical prop uh, that the actors actually shared space with. But again, for what? Yeah. It's a door. Yeah. Like the mo- the thing that I shower the most praise on in Indiana Jones Four is a fucking door. Well, that's, that's the thing. I'm sitting here. <laughs> has nothing to do with stunt work. I'm trying. To, has nothing to do with special effects. It's a door. I'm trying to remember it. I don't remember it. I remember him vaguely inserting a skull, but I don't remember a door. And that's the thing. Well, the only reason I care about the door is because I watched the making. Oh, okay. If if you hadn't, you wouldn't know. You would you would just be like, oh, it's probably just some computer whatever. You know, it, it's literally a door, but but it's an impressive door. So I'm I'm giving compliments where they're due. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Mac plays his hand. He is a traitor. <gasps> Trip across. Um, so they enter the the throne room here, and uh, the skull. I always like the effect of the skull being yanked out of <coughs> Irina's hand, because yeah. the the physics of yeah, the it, the it crystal skeleton. Good, yeah. It actually looks pretty cool. I I've always thought that looked very natural. Yeah, it does. Um, the aliens uh, speak to everybody. We don't hear any voices, but there's like a psychic message imparted. Yeah, yeah. That they want to they want to give the person who returned the skull a big right, gift. right, 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 right. That's my problem. They want to give them okay. a gift, a gift, yeah. a friendly gift. A friendly? <laughs> they they want to help them out. They want to be. Are they nice? Do they care? They taught them agriculture back then, back in the day. Like, hey, we're nice. We're cool. We show up. We want to, we like, guys, we want to show you these cool things. And then they're like, hey, you returned our school. We want to be nice and we want to give you a gift. But I'm like, is it a friendly gift? I still don't know to this day. I've watched it how many times? Uh, maybe it's, maybe it's intended to be a friendly gift, but it's, it's too great of a gift. We can't. That's what it's implied. That's what it's implied to be. 
I, th I think, anyway. Uh, so yeah, uh, we get this interesting effect where there are 13 crystal skeletons all sitting atop thrones in this circular room. Very elaborately designed. Yeah. Actually, there's some more production design Easter eggs that, again, you wouldn't know if you didn't watch the making of, <laughs> which nobody did, apparently. <laughs> um, so in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, the, uh, the tomb, uh, the Well of Souls, that, that houses the Ark has hieroglyphics of C-3PO and R2-D2 in it. So it, it's like disguised among all the Egyptian themed oh, okay. stuff. Which is, you know, it's cute. It's another George Lucas production. Why not? Um, and of course, a lot of the special effects people also worked on Star Wars. And uh, in this room, uh, I think we have uh, also, I think, C-3PO and R2-D2 and uh, E.T. is definitely in there as oh. well. Which is, of course, yeah, Spielberg, Spielberg yeah. you know. Um, yeah, so fun Easter eggs that the, the artists thought would be fun to include there. And a callback to the earlier films. But all the skulls start, all the skeletons start rotating and they merge together. And it forms a, a solid living alien? <laughs> is it one? Is it 13? How many are there? Why is it just one? I don't, I don't questions? Uh, I don't know. And I, I, frankly, I don't care. At this point, it's no, like, you're done. You're, no, you can't be bothered to care. It's just like, okay, it's that's an whatever. alien. It's like that would be impressive if the movie didn't feature an alien earlier in the movie. Yeah, you know, like maybe if you'd save the alien stuff for the very end, like I'd be impressed. It's like, oh, they actually did aliens. Like you know that that actually was like a big a big point of speculation before the release of the movie was. Everybody thought they were going to do aliens, but they didn't actually confirm they were going to do aliens until everybody saw the movie. So again, like within the first ten minutes, it's like aliens. Oh, they're doing aliens. <laughs> it's like, so why am I impressed by the big alien at the end? <laughs> but uh, yeah, Irina uh, steps up to the alien and uh, it imparts its big gift. She asks, "I want to know." Like basically, she wants infinite knowledge. She wants to know everything. Um, and it apparently gives her all the knowledge such that she uh, evaporates into like a burst of light. Um, and by the way, it makes a mean face at her. Yeah, it does. It That's what I was going to say. It makes a mean yeah. face. It's like, oh, you asked for that? You're stupid. Yeah. What? <laughs> I, I mean, actually, you could easily put that audio over and it would fit just fine. <laughs> You're stupid. <laughs> You're stupid. Because, yeah, it, it like... It sneers mm. at her almost. It's like, mm. <laughs> and it like it, it's this weird close up that's like again like, I I think I may have gone too far in a few places. <laughs> I think one of the animators or somebody doing the special effects maybe got a little carried away and thought it would be neat. It's like we already. It's, he probably thought he could slip it in, or they probably thought they could slip well. it in. It's like. I mean, they already had all that monkey <laughs> bullshit and the groundhog. It's like, you think they'll notice if I put in the alien making a mean face? <laughs> I, I, I guess at the end of the day, are these aliens friendly or not? I don't know. Yeah, we we do not know. It's not terribly important, I guess. But um, yeah, uh, it kills Arena for sure. It kills the fuck out of her. <laughs> uh, and the whole temple starts coming down as per adventure movie tradition. You can't you can't be in an ancient place without having it crumble oh, down no. behind you. Again, Americans abroad. It's it's a requirement. Absolutely. Mom. Property damage and or murder must happen. It's Mummy. Mummy returns. Part of being an yeah, American. Absolutely. 
Yeah, I mean, if you want that passport stamped on your return trip, you have to have, have done to kill one it. over both of those things. It's like, even if you have to do it at customs, like, they can provide a person for you to stab or a, or a rare antiquity for you to knock over or something. Absolutely. It's like, we're not letting you back in, bud. <laughs> um, yeah, the place starts coming down, and Mac actually bails from the room early, but then he spends minutes multiple minutes picking up treasures and in fact he goes back for like specific treasures because he's like on the staircase and yeah. then he heads back and he's like no i want I need that this necklace. right here yeah i need this and so everything's coming down and our, our heroes manage to escape the r- rotating like dis- dissolving room and uh there's like a vacuum effect sucking them all and, in uh, yeah yeah, they're getting sucked in, and uh, Mac gets yanked by the vacuum, and uh, all the treasures are being sucked in, and Indy grabs him with his whip, yeah. and Mac is, like, suspended in the air because he's being pulled with such great force that it's, like, the beginning of Twister when the dad goes out. He's just floating there, dad. yeah. <laughs> he had, that dad had no chance, man. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. That door, oh, you, you got to get them hinges fixed, but, like, that, that door is He rattling. knew what was coming. He knew, man. <laughs> Um, and then we get this bizarre line where, yeah. where Mac like winks He's at him like, and says, "I'm gonna be all right." It's like, what? No, I, don't you, what? I don't think you are, man. Yeah, I sat there watching. I'm like, "What makes you think you're gonna be okay, man? Like, what part of that? Like, where where did you think that was gonna be okay? Was the audience supposed to feel anything for this guy? Because I sure, exactly. I sure as heck did that's, not. That's the thing. It's like." Is this supposed to be like a redemption yeah. arc for Mac? No. <laughs> like, Fail? No. <laughs> he has treasure around his neck as he's dying. Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's bizarre. Like, it, and people have been uh, saying this for ages that uh, Spielberg at some point softened up. Uh, I don't think that's entirely true. He still does kind of edgy not edgy but just like darker you know like more intense movies like munich for instance before this pretty heavy fucking movie um so i don't i don't think he's entirely softened but this this feels like something that maybe earlier in his career he would have had something real bad happen to oh, him yeah. and and we and we were we as the audience would be expected to have some feeling of like catharsis like yeah he got his because i actually have a thing that i I call it the spielbergian uh spike killing where it's it's just like it's like if you kick a dog in a spielberg movie oh you are going to be eviscerated by the final reel you gone like you're not you're not just gone you are gone in an ugly way like it's going to be bad for you like like the lost world for instance we have uh peter stormare tasering a compsignathus what happens to him he gets killed by a thousand cuts he gets killed by a swarm of those things later on in the movie so like this felt like a weird pivot where it's like pretty sure in an earlier draft of the script something real bad happened to mac but here it's like i'm gonna be okay it's nope sure that carries no weight it's nope, not at all yeah. consistent with your character who by the way is in the process of stealing, stealing things. gold <laughs> like 13 <laughs> seconds before he, yeah <laughs> yeah, it, it's bizarre, I, and I think it was worth fixating on for a second because it just feels very, it's very jarring. It is. Yeah, uh, but yeah, Irina at this point has evaporated into light, so 
I presume she's dead. Maybe she'll come back in Indiana Jones 5. Oh they did say they're interdimensional beings, not space aliens. So maybe she maybe she went to a different dimension. Whatever the heck that means. Sure. Um, I think it was just a, a, a loophole where uh, in interviews before the release of the movie, if they're asked about aliens, they can deny it and then say they weren't lying. It's like, oh, there's no aliens in Indiana Jones 4. I don't know what you heard. Interdimensional beings, is that their answer? Yeah. I, I, that's my guess as to why they did that. But, um, yeah, uh, we, we get spat out of the temple via a jet of water. Uh, it's a friendly burst of water, not like Temple of Doom where the water's out to kill you. So, again, if you want to say Spielberg has softened a little bit, friendlier water, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, uh, and then we get this spectacular CGI sequence of a uh, flying saucer, a literal flying saucer, which I think was actually one of the working titles for the film earlier in development oh, when George Lucas was proposing ideas in the early 90s. Like, I think it was literally indiana jones and like the saucer men or something um and yeah we get this spectacular protracted sequence of a flying saucer coming out of the temple demolishing everything around it burst like disappearing in a burst of light and then the temple grounds are filled in by the the amazon river filling in the hole and it's like they were never there uh, you know as we've talked to this movie and I thought I, I thought I would walk away, and I thought I'd be like, okay, we talked about it. I'm good. I feel better. I'm more bitter now, and I don't know why. I don't know why. I, I'm like I'm sitting here, and I'm like I'm bitter. This just even vocalizing it is making me bitter. <laughs> why? Well, I I think I. I hate to say it, but over the course of our multiple hour discussion, Nick, I may have hit the nail on the head in our like in the first ten minutes. <laughs> I think it's because the track record of the series is so steadfast and consistent. Like it's so all three of those movies are so great. And then there's just this vestigial just like thing just hanging off there at the end that's like now, now every time I bring up Indiana Jones, I have to, I have to, I can't just call it a trilogy. Yeah. I have to say, oh, I have to say those three. Oh yeah, and, and then, then that, that one. one. Yep. And then that thing that's there. The afterthought. It, it's, yeah. It. It's an it it's, it doesn't contribute much of anything. It's nice. It's nice seeing Harrison Ford. Like it's nice seeing him be indie, yeah. but he's not in it a whole lot. He doesn't do a whole lot and it it just doesn't need to be like it just doesn't justify its existence and that's always that's always my stance on sequels is if it fails to justify its existence then it fails the sequel yeah, if test. i have to ask why throughout your movie then it, it didn't need to be yeah and, and they're not logistical wise it's more it's more like why did you feel like you were adding to the legacy of of this great thing like, did, do you really feel that this benefits everyone, like, who appreciates that which came before? It's like, no, it, it, I find it irritating. It's very similar to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, oh. where, where I have my box set that has two discs in it that I just don't care about, where I have Ninja Turtles 1 and 2 that I've, I've seen tens of times, and then I have Ninja Turtles 3, which has never been inserted into my Blu-ray player. 
because I seen it on VHS back in the day, and and that's, that's all I sufficient. <laughs> and then there's that TMNT movie from 2007, <laughs> but nobody nobody gives a shit about that. Like it, oh, it it's fine. That. It's actually it's actually not terrible. It's just it's not my ninja. Haven't seen it. Wasn't it. made with me in mind, which is which is fine. Indiana Jones was kind of made with me in mind. No, it was. It was definitely. Otherwise, they wouldn't have. It's very definitely for Indiana Jones fans. Yes, and yet it's it's the Indiana Jones fans who take the most offense. It is, to it. Yes, <laughs> because I actually could see some kid having this be their first Indiana Jones movie, and think it was fine. I don't think that I don't think anybody would think that of this as their like most rewatched movie in their youth, but I could totally see a kid digesting this and being just yeah. fine with it. Yeah. But yeah, as it stands, it's it's the people who should care the most about it that or hurt them, yeah. find the most fault yep. in it. Um, but yeah, uh, we get a line somewhere. Your grandpa is laughing. Uh, Indy oh, remarking yeah. about Mutt, uh, about how Mutt how Mutt is so similar to Indy because uh, he wants to take off into the into the jungle immediately after the aliens have taken off, and Indy's like, "Dude, it's about to be night, and I don't think you want to be farting around the jungle." So he's. Indy is older and more wise, and Mutt is very much like Indy was. And then we cut uh, to uh, the university real quick to see that Charlie and Indy are both reinstated. In fact, I think Indy got promoted. Yeah. He's now associate dean at the university, so he's doing just fine. Promotion. And then we have a wedding oh, because yeah, riding off into the sunset isn't a thrilling enough way to end a franchise. Old person wedding. Yeah, <laughs> we have an old person wedding. Um, and uh, we see that Oxley, by the way, Oxley returned to himself, so he regained his senses and his intellect. And uh, John Hurt got a shave and a haircut. Dut, dut. And uh, he is at the wedding. Uh, John Reese Davies was asked to oh, attend yeah. the wedding. I forgot all about him. Yeah, Sala, uh, belo- like one of the most beloved yeah. characters in the franchise, one of the very few characters who was in more than one movie in the series. Uh, John Reese Davies was asked to attend the wedding, but he refused because he felt it was insubstantial. What does that mean? He was like, I just didn't think it was worth it. Yeah, he he wanted he wanted more to do. Like he didn't want to just cameo in Indiana Jones four. He wanted to be a participant in the the action. Don't blame him for that. Yeah, uh, swap out Mac for Sala, and you might actually yes, have a fun movie. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if if Sala came out of that trunk with Indy, that'd be well, a whole. Well, it's still that'd be a whole lot of trunk. <laughs> I don't know if you could fit both of those guys in there. You need two cards for that. <laughs> that would be that would just be awkward from a logistics standpoint, where it's like, okay, Steven, I have this idea for Indy coming out of the trunk. It's like, but I want John Reese Davies in there too. It's like. It's like, okay, so we had the production designers try to modify the trunk. It is not physically possible to have both actors in the same trunk. And Spielberg had to make the he had to make the hard choice. It's like, well, I guess we gotta have two cars. <laughs> I mean that would be kinda of funny. And then you'd need like four guys just for Sala. Like they they had two guys for Indy, but then you have the other car and like the the, hyd- the hydraulics on it, like the suspension. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It has a dip. <laughs> it's like, oh, I wonder who that is. It's like, is that the kingpin in there or something? It's like, oh, it's Sala. <laughs> Bad yeah, dates. I could see that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they have old person wedding, and uh, we have thankfully a gag where the the hat, the fedora, oh, yeah, is blown yeah. to uh, to Mutt's foot as he is a uh, 
preparing to take a photo and he picks it up and he looks at it he's about to put it on his head but indy yanks it from him so uh, he and marion are hitched now and then the raiders march plays as they exit the chapel and uh, mutt follows behind them and uh, i seriously doubt uh, anybody check this out but uh, if you listen through the entirety of the credits uh, there is an additional movement uh, to the raiders march uh, tacked on to the very end of the credits so there's like a little bit of new music to the raiders march no, that john yeah, williams composed I don't remember that at all. Uh, if you just look up the end credits for the movie on like youtube or something like just the music uh, if you're curious at all it is the only instance I know of where this particular movement in the music occurs in the entire franchise. I don't think it's great, but it it's it's something it's new. Added. <laughs> yeah, it's added material. And by the way, Marion's theme is present throughout the whole film. And in fact, the end credits are basically identical to the end of Raiders oh. in terms of music with the addition of one little bit. Uh, for the very end of the credits. But yeah, that was uh, Indiana Jones with the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull from 2008, directed by Steven Spielberg. And I don't think you I don't think I need to ask you how you feel about it. <laughs> no. I, it just Well, well, and we both know how we feel about it. Like before we sign off, uh, again, thank you Nick for, oh, for yeah, helping absolutely. me get through this. I I really appreciate the help, but um how you feeling about number 5? Like so, we we officially do have a number five due out different director, same same Harrison Ford, um, older, <laughs> but different director, and it is due out apparently next summer. How you feeling about that? Honestly, just more reserved. I, we didn't need four. Three ended nicely, and I'm just like five at this point. My expectations are so low. I'm hoping they are are surpassed, but it's like we didn't need four. We probably don't need five. Whatever they're going to do, I'm hoping to be pleasantly surprised, but I'm definitely going to temper my expectations just, just because of four. I think it's impossible to be 100% enthusiastic yeah, about number five. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm hopeful. Optimistic. I'm yeah, I, I'm I'm legitimately kind of optimistic because James Mangold as a director, uh, he his his movies often have like a western vibe to them. Um, he did Ford versus Ferrari, but more importantly, he did Logan, which is I think the storytelling approach to take for an Indy Five is you know the the old cowboy the end of the road. Yeah, I could see that. So, so you you take special care to be honest about the character's age and fragility. Right. Where taking it into Logan effect. All, yeah. yeah, Logan was all about you know a very tough person no longer able to be as tough as they once were and having to come to terms with that. Meanwhile, trying to balance you know discovering a new family along the way and stuff. And I think if I think if he follows a similar roadmap, you could have an interesting story. In fact, that's a story that I I long for from a lot of franchises. Is like I've always wanted to see that James Bond movie where they they tell the last James Bond story. I mean, you could make more James Bond stories, but I'd love to see like an old crotchety banged up James Bond that has liver problems from all the dranken um like just have his last adventure and like treat that as like the end of the, of a you know the timeline yeah, now see I'm kind of like a regular moviegoer so 
I don't like to see my heroes so beaten up and just like mm. incapacitated. I'm almost going for like a sense of escape and I want to see things that aren't, you know, out of the norm. They're things that aren't normal. So when I see the hero that I'm supposed to be like, yeah, let's see what you can do, be grounded, it's kind of like, well, crap. That's not. <laughs> I mean, it does kind of defeat the purpose, especially of Indiana Jones. Is you know it, it he these movies are meant to be fun. Right. They're not they're not meant to be cerebral highbrow entertainment. Yeah. But part of me feels like if you are going to if, insist, yeah, if you're going to use, if you are going to insist on Harrison having Harrison Ford, Ford yeah, yeah. continue to be this character, I yeah. I think you're gonna have to do that. And it may not go over well with like super fans who like like you had said, just want that. But for me personally, I would invite them no. because I think that's that's one of the only directions to go. Honestly, I think you're right. If they're <laughs> going to use Harrison Ford, I think you're right. I think that's the card they have to play. All right. Well, sounds like we both have a glimmer. <laughs> but this has been a really interesting deep dive on the Indiana Jones. Uh, franchise so i guess this thus completes the master class for the time being uh hopefully we can do a, a theatrical edition when indy 5 eventually drops that'd be interesting yeah uh, yeah if you want in on that as well nick you are more than welcome cool. yeah uh, <laughs> maybe it'll be a good one for a change <laughs> we, like i said we need to up that rate. i'm here for the shit <laughs> that's fine yeah well you don't have to be like, like i said i i think of you as 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 I do my own brother, where it's just like the door is always open. So if you want in on anything that we we have forecasted for the schedule, just throw up your hand. But cool, you're, you're more than welcome. Awesome. But yeah, that being said, um, if you'd like to catch up on any of our other catching up on cinema content, you can find all of that located on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, we also have a couple of social media accounts in the form of an Instagram at catchinguponcinema, as well as a Twitter at catchingcinema. So feel free to hit me up at either of those. And the podcast is available on pretty much any platform you can imagine, including Cephalopod. So fucking Google it. Uh, But that being said, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Bye.